good football folk is doing. Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So Who cares about what people think about us. Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Palazzolo back here with Sam Monson. We're live here on YouTube reviewing everything week two in the NFL. From your Josh Allen jersey. And I got my Josh Allen jersey here. Excellent. I've got an apology form for, uh, for doubting Josh Allen. Even huh. though he's not playing football all that well this year, we're still going to sign the apology form, Sam. Well, some of us already have. You already, you already did. Mm-hmm. When I Googled Josh Allen apology form, there was three forms and then a picture of you holding it up. Yeah. Your, you know, a little grin. Like, hey, I already did this. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm all about the SEO, Steve. Yeah, that's, that's a good job. I'm just glad I can Google it and, and find you. Um, so we'll get into all the action. I guess when, when, when we get to the Bills game, I will, uh, yeah. I'll sign the apology <laughs> form. Um, a reminder, if you're new, we did this uh, did this for charity. We raised over $2,000 for um, Hope for Hope Center for Women, I believe, it, uh, in Kentucky here. So, which means we're going to be doing no- another one. So, PFF podcast uh, charity drive 4.0 is going to be up and running. We still need we need ideas. We need, let us know. Send us an email. NFL turn to do something here. Right. NFL podcast at pff.com. We need ideas for what we can do as my forfeit. Um, it's it's my turn. If you haven't been paying attention to these so far. Uh, what was the first one? We ri- um, first one was the Fro. Oh, yeah, the Fro Show. So we that- raised money for men battling addiction. Fro Show was the first Fro. one. The second one was Minor League. Steve, I had to dress up as you with idiot facial hair and all of your old baseball gear. Raised money for the kids. Which was nine times too yeah. large. Um, better than I thought it would be. Yeah, and then this was number three, the Josh Allen Apology Forum. So we are like, we're closing in on 10 grand, I think, total at this point raised for charity yeah um, through so we, three installations so four we've done charity for men charity for women charity for kids next up is your favorite steve it's the animals the animals yeah the course. animals yeah so look there's a i i think we're got to do some kind of uh animal shelter type deal again if you have good ideas for where we could send money for that let us know um there's a ton of guy, like dog kill shelters at the moment that are running through all of the covid uh pets that people have got and then dumped because people are like that so i'm sure we can send money to somewhere like that i just don't know where so if you have ideas for what we can do as a forfeit and places to support with the charity money let us know somebody suggested your punishment should be sam doing an entire podcast talking positively about the vikings Might be tough. That'd be, might be the most challenging one yet. It would be. Would we'll be. get to all the games. Um, don't forget, pff.com. There's already a bunch of games live. If you guys are elite subscribers, you have your grades live over at pff.com, all part of your premium stats, your elite package. If you're, uh, if you're an Edge subscriber, you'll see those grades trickle into to various parts of the, uh, of the site. Um, so go get there right now if you haven't because uh, the grades will keep coming in throughout 
the day. Let's go. Uh, you ready to go? Out of interest, how many X's are on that jersey? Uh, it's just a simple 2X. Just a 2X? Yeah. Oh, okay. 2X. I didn't get the stitched, right? That's okay, right? I mean, I'm not the person. You, Bill's Mafia, the people that you got to talk to here. I'm just... And I decided to go with the white. I like the white one. Oh, the whites? Yeah. Yeah. They were they, in, they, no, they weren't. They were, what were they wearing yesterday? Blue. They were in blue yesterday yeah, for the. At Miami. Miami always wears the white. Right. Everybody's wearing white at home now for some reason. I think only Cowboys and Florida teams should be allowed to wear white at home. You were like asking me, you know, which which X to go for when you were getting the jersey. And I was having to point out to you that I'm unfamiliar with the landscape of the X when it comes to clothing size. Yeah. I, I exist only in the world of uh, large to medium. Yeah, I've, I've the, fluctuated the between 2X, 3X. You know, it depends on what you're looking at here. Yeah. All right, so um, Thursday Night Football, by the way, Giants and Washington football team, we reviewed that on the PFF NFL Daily on Friday morning. So daily subscribers, um, go check that out if you have not already. Talked about Taylor Heineke yeah. being a franchise quarterback. Um, you know what? On my list here, Buffalo 35, Miami nothing. Let's do it right now. Okay, let's start with that. Bills, Bills win 35 to nothing. Um, I've got an apology form. It's not the best. What uh, is that mess? It of doesn't a- matter. It's it's not the best printable for the look. How did you manage to print out a form with like TV letterbox? It wasn't side. the official form. It's just uh, oh, maybe that's my cop out. Yeah, Josh Allen, who might have a PFF passing grade under sixty here in two thousand twenty-one. I'm gonna I'm gonna sign it anyway. Good, do that. Um, just to remind everybody, Josh Allen apology form. The uh, Bills Mafia was uh, surfacing this, you know, for for people like me who doubted Josh Allen. People like after. You. Um, either his college tape or his first two years in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Last year, an elite 90-plus PFF grade. Uh, that's not why I'm signing this. I'm signing it because we, we raised over $2,000 for charity. Is that on the form? Is that as a reason? Uh, reason for behavior. I'm going to add a box. So the reasons for signing the apology form, I don't know football, uh-huh. was jealous of Josh Allen. Yeah. Mercury, Mercury was in retrograde. I believe that's what I went with. Media told me he was bad. I was, I was one of them. You are media. Only listened to ESPN or didn't watch the actual games. I will add a box here. You're a big Stephen A. fan. Is that not your yeah, reason? Yeah, Stephen A. Was, was really influencing me. I will write for charity. Is this legal? <laughs> no, I don't Check think so. Check the box. I think I might invalidate the form. I am sorry for my behavior and hereby respect Josh Allen. Boy, I do respect Josh Allen. Mm-hmm. Full respect for Josh Allen. I mean, he is top three most entertaining players to watch in the NFL. Yeah. Uh, the arm is spectacular. Uh, his athleticism as a runner, fantastic. Mm-hmm. He, got, he got hosed out of a touchdown, uh, rushing touchdown yesterday when they said he was down at the half-inch half inch line. So That's a crazy rule. The apology needs to be as loud as the disrespect. I don't, I don't, even, know what, I don't even know what that means. What the hell is that? It's my signature. It's not a signature. It's a scribble. When you've written as many autographs, signed as many autographs as I have, you need a I was quick was in official. demand, was it? Yes. Yeah. Right there. Hang on. That's the official. Official signature. Oh, that was a signed baseball card. It's not. We're going to make sure. I apologize to Josh Allen, and we thank you to all of our listeners for um, for donating to the Hope Center for Women. The charity. Yeah. Let's talk about the game. Let's do it. Um, Buffalo Bills 35 to nothing. Uh, The announcers were talking about this being one of the better games they've ever seen as far as secondary play. It was kind of true. Both teams... Um, first off, Tua gets hurt. Yeah. Um, Dolphins really struggled moving the ball. Buffalo's defense was fantastic. Top pass rush grade of the entire week, I believe it'll end up being. Um, Allen was a little up and down. He missed some throws too, but I have to give – I want to give credit to that Miami secondary. They did do a really nice job covering on the back end. Yeah. I mean, this was – this was – yeah, it's, it's funny you try and 
you want to come out of this and sort of credit Miami's defense for 35 nothing being down. <laughs> but they actually did. They did a reasonable job on the back end. And Buffalo, like this was one of the more labored 35 nothing wins you're ever going to see. It, it wasn't smooth sailing for them. Um, it's such a wild game, though, because this was, you know, coming into this game, Buffalo's own one. They lost the game week one to Pittsburgh that everybody was expecting them to win. And all of a sudden they have to travel on the road to Miami, who's going to do that whole make them wear blue, sit in the sun in Florida, you know, make life uncomfortable for them. It's hot and humid. Yeah, yeah. And Miami obviously got the win. And all of a sudden this is like, I mean, it's obviously not a must-win game because it's week two. But if Buffalo had lost this game, they would have been in quite a, an ugly hole in a division they were expected to win. Um, but they don't. They go out there and not just get a win, but like 35 nothing annihilation. It was Buffalo's biggest shutout win since like 1960-something. Um, but for Miami, I think it exposed what's still wrong with this team. Like the offensive line was getting Tua killed, then Tua got killed, and then Jacoby Brissett came in. And as much as Jacoby Brissett is – a decent backup quarterback in the NFL. He has certain characteristics that make him unsuitable for a team with a struggling offensive line. Like the dude holds onto the ball for a while, has a tendency to cause some problems in terms of pressure just from the style that he plays the game with. And while he might be more durable, he's also going to like invite a lot more hits. And for an offensive line that's bad and is reasonably well protected or hidden by the scheme, it suddenly like it becomes a lot harder to hide them when Brissett is the quarterback. Yeah, from uh, so Tua gets hurt early on, and like you said, Brissett comes in. I, the the from a Bills perspective, the two th- my two big takeaways, and we mentioned this at times last year. They're a good team that can win in different ways. So they won this game without Josh Allen playing at his best. The run game was fantastic early on. Devin Singletary breaks a, a huge run early on so this is one of those games where actually they ran the ball well bills fans have been asking for a more efficient run game you've got zach moss missing uh forcing five missed tackles on just uh eight carries so he's always been uh the word elusive doesn't always match with power runners but he's always been a guy that forces guys you know forces missed tackles so singletary ran the ball pretty well zach moss ran the ball well josh allen had uh five first downs on the ground you know so this was it's scrambling too but i'm just saying it was just a different type of game and then their pass rush like we said was outstanding the so again it goes both ways the dolphins uh pass blocking is probably going to be the worst of the week and then you've got players like aj epinesa starlo to uh jerry hughes gregory russo all with productive games rushing the passer so the bills showed that they can win up front and all that investment in second rounders and late first rounders the last couple of years, you know, starting to get a little bit of that return up front. Yeah. Um, what is your takeaway from this, from a Miami point of view though? Are they like, this was obviously Tua going down was a body blow, but it shouldn't have produced a 35, nothing annihilation. So if you go back to our preview show, I was very excited about Will Fuller playing football after the show. Um, he missed practice. He, he they, they said he's going to miss the game for personal reasons, and then uh, Brian Flores had a quote like, we hope to have him back sometime this season. And that was alarming. You know, personal reasons yeah, that, that part out a game is different than, hey, we hope he's back this season. That part was kind of overblown, though. Like, the, it, was, it was a leading question, which he wouldn't – he essentially didn't want to address it. 
which was taken as wouldn't confirm that he we would just be don't back know this when. season. Okay. So, I, I mean, I don't want to – I'm doing the thing I hate, which is looking into quotes that have been pushed to me a little bit too much. Right. But the point I was trying to make going into the game was the Dolphins did a pretty nice job in week one using their playmakers and, you know, isolating Jalen Waddell and getting him out there and having Devontae Parker. I was excited to see what they could do with Will Fuller. They, did, they didn't have that opportunity. To me, the, the big takeaway is, well, first off, they can't have an effective offense if they can't pass block better, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that's the biggest thing. Tua getting hurt, um, obviously not great. I do think we'll talk about there's a lot of quarterback injuries, and I always repeat, I think quarterbacks have to do a better job of protecting themselves. I know they can't never get hit. That's a part of the game. Um, but Tua continues to get banged up at various points throughout his career, and I don't think it's a frame thing, right? It's not – He's small. Carson Wentz gets hurt because he's big and takes too many hits. Um, Two is small and probably takes too many hits. Um, so he's got to do a better job of protecting himself. I mean, but if, my takeaway is what your concern all offseason was they're not going to pass block well enough, and this is one of those games where it showed up. When you look – yeah, like Jacoby Brissett didn't even play that badly. It's just that the offensive line is such a train wreck. It was a, a hiding to nothing from the outset. Look at the pass-blocking numbers from the Dolphins. They had – uh, one, two, three, four, five, six different players on offense give up four or more total pressures. Miles Gaskin, the running back, gave up six pressures. Uh, Austin Jackson, the first round left tackle from a year ago, gave up 10. Um, a 35.9 pass blocking grade for Austin Jackson, a 32 for Solomon Kinley, 35 for Jesse Davis, 14 for old Miles Gaskin. Like, that's not workable. I mean, that's completely non-viable as a pass-blocking entity, and it was going to get Tua injured in the game or at least badly uh, compromised, and it wasn't any better for Jacoby Brissett. He's just a little bit more capable of withstanding that kind of beatdown. Yeah, so that, that, was the, that was the thing for me. Again, I know it sounds weird as like a, the, the Dolphins gave up 35 points and uh, me giving credit to their secondary. Um, but they did it. They were really doing a good job locking down those those Bills receivers. Allen missed a few too many throws. They made uh, life difficult. I mean, even you know there were play- Stephon Diggs down the sideline had to like win jump ball contested catches with with Xavier Howard, who I mean that's impressive in and of itself. Damn it, what? It's one of those in, in and, and of itself. itself. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's one of those things you mm-hmm. got to cut out. It's okay. No, it's okay. Um, so just back to Allen a little bit. Uh, he did throw a pick to Xavier Howard, left it behind on a slant, tried to throw another pick to Xavier Howard. It was through two weeks. Josh Allen's passing grade is kind of in line with his first two years, the, the times that we were careful now criticizing him. You've just signed an apology form. There can be no criticism of Josh Allen coming from your side of the desk. Yeah, well, he's just um, – I, I just want my, my favorite player to uh, take a little bit better care of the ball. And it didn't matter. They won by 35. It didn't matter in this particular game. But if the Bills want to go, the two, <laughs> the two Bills takeaways, if they want to go where they want to go, good for the defensive line the way they played in this game, not good as far as ball security and you know potential turnovers from, from Josh Allen. Gotta Seriously, though, better. like where do you think Josh Allen will end up over the season? Because Seriously? Or like I just signed an apology. No, no, no. Like... Thank you for your money <laughs> for charity. Actually, seriously, because right now, as you say, his grade is basically it's now it's in line with years one and two. But the analysis from us coming into the season is okay. We might see a regression from Josh Allen just because maintaining ninety grade seasons is extremely difficult. Like even guys like 
Matt Ryan and Aaron Rodgers don't always grade at 90 every year, right? It's hard. You end up slipping a bit, and you end up at 85, which is still a really good year, but is a step down from the season before. So we were sort of saying, yeah, he'll take a step back, but he's not going to go back to being old, Josh Allen. That, that guy's in the past. He's developed beyond that. And now through two games, he's kind of been old Josh Allen. I'm just going to throw the numbers out there. PFF grades. Uh, we'll use the passing grade over the last uh, four years. Josh Allen as a rookie, passing grade of 58. Mm-hmm. Second year, 61.4. Mm-hmm. Last year was an 87.9. His yep. overall grade was over 90. So far, through two weeks, it's a 59.3 passing grade this year. Overall grade at 62.3. So through two weeks, it's very early. His grades are very much in line with his first two years. Your question is, where does he land? Yes. It's only two weeks. I think he'll... My initial thought coming into the year is that he'd land in the 80s. I think I said low 80s Yeah, was my Josh Allen prediction. I don't think that's crazy. Do you I, still think he bounces back? Yeah, I do. I don't... I never thought he was just going to like... That he was going to have this one incredible season and then revert back to the first two years. It's only a two-game sample. You could grab any two-game sample and get this right. result for any quarterback, right? So, yeah, I think he'll end up... I mean, maybe I maybe it's high 70s now after a slow start. But uh, yesterday, 45.4 passing grade. Not great. No. Um, and, in, in, you know, we mentioned in week one against the Steelers, two missed deep ball opportunities, uh, fumble. You know, there was – it hasn't been great so far for Josh Allen. But I think he'll be, he'll be okay. And if he's not, we'll bring back the form. Four turnover-worthy plays yesterday. Yeah. I think led the NFL, right? Uh, I think we ended up with three. I think he ended up with three. Do I need to refresh the page? Probably. Is that what you're telling me? Yeah, unless there was one. Was there one as a runner that I'm missing? Uh, you're right. He's down to three. So three turnover-worthy plays for Josh Allen yesterday. So he got to play better. But two big-time throws. Yes. Which is something you can't say about everybody. Where are uh, we go next? His touchdown was, was pretty awesome. I'm trying to pull up the, uh, the game reports. What's the next game? I don't, know. I don't know what order you're doing this in. <laughs> uh, Allen, Allen's touchdown was pretty awesome. You know, breaks, uh, breaks a tackle, throws it back to Diggs. He does do special stuff all right. the time, which is why he's the most entertaining player in the NFL. All right, Bengals and Bears. Bears win 20-17. to 17. Oh, Justin Fields got on. Let me just describe what happened The here. era has begun. The Justin Fields era. Because Andy Dalton's knee couldn't withstand scrambling. Probably. So a- Andy Dalton, remember how he's always struggled in primetime? Sure. He's a pretty good 1 p.m. quarterback yeah. through the years, right? So he was probably... 1 p.m. Was, Dalton. In, in, a, in a 1 p.m. slate of ugly, ugly, ugly quarterback play, Dalton may have been the best one. But because it happened at 1 p.m. and nobody really saw... Nobody really knows. You know, Justin Fields came in and saved the day. What's the, uh, what's the Justin Fields Twitter narrative right now? I haven't really seen that much talk about it, actually. Uh, I think people got distracted by other things later in the day. Yeah, I but haven't really seen At the much time Dalton went, went out of the game, he was 9 for 11, or 11, yeah, 9 for 11 for 56 yards and a touchdown. In his best throw, he threw a back shoulder that got negated by penalty that was zipped in there. He, he looked pretty good. Dalton looked pretty good. Um, then the- he scrambled, and as he's like heading out of bounds, it was almost like a Jimmy Garoppolo thing where his knee just seemed to go, meep, yeah. nope. Uh, and he like hobbles to the sideline and, and, and suddenly get, Justin Fields is out there. And, and, and since I like to blame quarterbacks for their own injuries, I blamed Garoppolo and he blew out. Well, his he, knee. he did he something was, different. He like tried to cut back in field. Right. And, like, he was trying to sneak like an extra Dalton was like on his way out of the, off the field and his knee just seemed to pop. So it seems like Dalton is out. Yeah. They're, I think having an MRI, they don't know what's wrong yet. It yeah. seemed they, this was weird in that they, the bears seem to be quite insistent that it isn't an ACL, which is 
one of those things that you can usually tell before the MRI. Like if you if your knee doesn't have a ligament in it, or the ligament is snapped, yeah. it it won't it'll bend in a way that it shouldn't when you like maneuver it. You know, so you can it's the kind of thing that you can physically examine and go. You know what? You don't have an ACL anymore. That and consequently, I can do this with your knee. You know, in yeah. a way that I can for a human that does have an ACL. So it's a little bit weird that they seem insistent that it isn't that, and yet there was something visibly popping in his knee on the replay and it kind of you know looked a lot like that but anyway the craziest part about this football game is in the fourth quarter the Bengals are down 13 (laughs) and then joe burrow threw three interceptions on three straight pass attempts three consecutive so they're down 13 then he threw three straight interceptions yeah in it in a game in which they managed to come back and only lose by three Yes. So it, it in did the fourth look, quarter, when he threw three picks, they made a comeback and almost pulled it off. For a period, it looked like he was going to throw three interceptions on consecutive dropbacks and win, and which win. would have been insane. Right. While while down thirteen. Yeah. It all started while they were down thirteen, um, and all this happened. Uh, Burrow uh, picks. He throws a pick six to Roquan Smith. That was the first one, which yeah. is just you didn't see the linebacker, which is always bad. Um, was it Jalen Johnson had the pick along the left side? The receiver wasn't great, but Johnson made a good play. There's another one. Burrow tries to make a make a play under pressure, and uh, ball pops up for a pick. I mean, it was ugly on those plays. Yeah, the third one is the only one that you would say. I mean, there's a degree of that's not Burrow's fault, and that there's. But anytime you're trying to throw the ball with a wall of bodies in front of you collapsing in on you like a ton of bricks, you're kind of asking for trouble and as you say the ball just popped up and a defensive tackle was able to grab it and get the pick yeah so so that's all happening um when fields came in um you know so he he had a pick of his own that brought the Bengals back into the game he misread the underneath coverage throws it right to a linebacker as well so similar mistake um fields also had a couple big time throws had a nice uh downfield pass that got negated by penalty uh that you know deep ball which which was great deep crosser which he which he got out there and did, and did a nice job so it was a it was a mixed bag well here's justin the thing fields. critically we've been we've been talking you know how do you make this justin fields decision when do you find out if he can go in or not how are you going to put him out there if you never try all these things right we've now got 41 snaps uh this season this game yeah 41 snaps in this game of justin fields therefore we can make a determination we're ready should justin fields be playing quarterback for the chicago bears going forward regardless of andy dalton's knee sure it's time excellent all right um i agree although it is interesting when you watch this game that if you were of the evangelical justin Fields spectrum of this is an amazing phenomenal quarterback who should be starting immediately he's incredible like you're just you're wasting everybody's time not putting him out there we did at least see a lot of the bad like the Justin Fields thing is not going to be smooth sailing from day one, and we're going to be looking at a Justin Herbert at the end of the season going, why didn't we put this guy in from day one? Like, what are we doing the first two weeks? You got to see that this is going to come with some growing pains. There's going to be some bumps. There are some plays where he's going to cause problems. But I think we at least saw that it's still worth it. Like, he's good enough. He's good enough at the good things to offset a lot of the bad and to get himself out of some trouble that he makes from his own back and to get himself out of some of the trouble that the offensive line will make. And I think on the balance, you would say that he's not going to get harmed by this, which well, is the big thing, right? Like, forget where he is. The, the, the big question is, does this damage him, putting him out there? And I think, you know, 41 snaps, 
But I think you come away from that game saying this won't damage Justin Fields playing. Like yeah. he's going to be okay. Extremely small sample size because he had he had 19 dropbacks. Yeah, um, six of them were under pressure. Uh, but again, his first sack, I think he's drop he's dropping too deep. He's giving uh, he's we always talk about the mobile quarterback helps the offensive line. He's going to, you know, save a few sacks here and there. I think he invited a sack um, by the deep drop when he, he did fumble in the pocket. One of his two turnover worthy plays, the other one was the interception. He fumbled in the pocket again, because he's vacating backwards, uh, forcing the left tackle to lose leverage. And the defender has a better angle at him. The pocket manipulation. This is what we've talked about a lot. Inviting pressure. Those are the things he's got to do a better job at. So on, on 19 dropbacks, we have him with two big-time throws and two turnover-worthy plays. It is, it's a Josh Allen-like adventure so yeah. far. He's already uh, tied for the league lead in third-down turnover-worthy plays. Yeah, there was some ugly. For the ones. season. The fumble and the interception were both ugly. Um, I think he recovered. He ended up recovering his own fumble, but it's just, again, those are the things that, um, that need to get better. His, he's got that um, Justin Herbert thing of, like, I'm pretty consistently wowed by his arm. Yeah, I, I I was wowed by his speed too. Oh I mean, yeah, like the that physical, as well. Like the the actual speed, the velocity, the arm. And this is why, like, there's a huge degree of yeah, I've got seven things I don't like about his game. On the other hand, who cares? Like, there's yeah. a lot of that about Justin Fields, where you say, look, there's some major issues here, but God, that guy is huge. He's fast, and his arm is a cannon, and really accurate. Those four things together make it very difficult for him to just be a disaster. Yeah, and, and that was, again, at Ohio State, when he had, you know, when he threw the ball, he was as good as it got in, yeah. the, in the class as far as uh, velocity, touch, accuracy, Fields has it all. It's just got to cut down on those negative plays. Uh, Bears defense played a lot better. Jamar Chase had another, uh, another bomb for a touchdown, mm -hmm. and he had a drop too, but Jamar, you know, he bounced back, did all right. So... Uh, one and one for both teams here, Bengals and the Bears. We got the Justin Fields experience. Uh, Burrow's got to play a little cleaner brand of football, though. Also, to move forward. how amazing is it to see Allen, Allen Robinson suddenly letting down the quarterback, not the reverse? Justin yeah, Fields drops a dime into the end zone. Robinson beat the corner and then couldn't come up with the ball. Yeah. You're like, the, that's not supposed to happen. Bengals offensive line watch. Yeah. One pass blocking grade. It's, over, it's already in premium stats, 2.0. It's already been reviewed. One pass blocking grade over 60 on their yeah. offensive line. It was uh, Quentin Spain at left guard. Trey Hopkins uh, got beaten a couple times, but right side, Xavier Suofilo and Riley Reef struggling. I'm sorry, those were true pass sets. Those are on true pass sets only. Uh, but yeah, only one over 60. And it was, so it was actually Trey Hopkins is the only guy over 60 at center. I, didn't, I, for, I forgot we had true pass sets in here. Yeah. That's incredible. We have true pass sets. We got regular. Look at that. Premium stats just really taken off. For I our think, lead subscribers. I mean, the Bengals' offensive line, it's borderline passable. It's, not, it's obviously not going to be good. It's probably not going to be catastrophic. It's hovering in that borderline between, like, an issue and okay. Yeah. Uh, Khalil Mack, I think he got, what, his first sack? His first sack came on a screen. So he's only got two pressures this season. One was a sack that came on a screen where there was no screen receiver. Burrow turns to throw a screen and everybody just blocked. <laughs> And then Khalil Mack got a sack. Yeah, it might be time to – two games. Maybe a little concerned about Khalil Mack and – not that concerned. we got a pretty good track record. He's only got a 59.2, 59.4 pass rush grade, though, through two it's games. You just out here writing off Khalil Mack. 
I'm not going to overreact on, on week two here. But week two is in the books, and now it's time to review the tape and get ready for week three with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. To kick off another action-packed week, DraftKings is giving new customers $150 instantly when they bet $1 in any football game. Listen up. You don't want to miss it. Head to DraftKings Sportsbook app now and place a $1 bet on any week three game and receive $150 in free bets instantly. If Sportsbook's not yet available in your state, DraftKings still has huge cash prizes up for grabs all season long with their daily fantasy contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. In case you haven't realized over the last couple of weeks, DraftKings is just handing out money for, for new subscribers. So we uh, strongly suggest you get there. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code PFF to receive $150 in free bets. When you place a $1 bet on any football game, that's promo code PFF. This week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Let's go Rams and Colts. Rams 27, Colts 24. A little back and forth game. This game was, uh, the Rams were had this game in hand mm-hmm. for a while. And then their punt protector just gets in the way of the snap. The ball bounces off of the Colts get a play. touchdown. What absolutely bizarre play. They had, they had the punt protector line up in the way of the punt and then had him shift late from like one side to the other. He didn't shift far enough and the ball just whacked him in the hip. Um, I don't understand what the benefit is to that mess before the snap like why i mean whatever about shifting him before the snap why would you have him line up to begin with right in the way i don't know i don't i mean i don't understand anything about that play and you know you got too cute it cost you and it was a problem carson Wentz gets hurt at the end yeah um aaron donald for a guy that has a history of being brittle and this is a little bit like the chicken and the egg um, but if you had a fairly extensive injury history, he's really not helping himself in terms of like whatever about taking hits and sacks and stuff. At the very minimum, stop like trying to make it worse by fighting through the injury. Like he got folded up by Aaron Donald and like legs were trapped and like his ankle ended up under his ass pointing in the wrong direction. You're just like, dude, just know when you're beaten. Like, the guy is, the guy has you. Go down. Like, hit the dirt, turtle up, assume the fetal position. Just stop fighting. It's not going to go well. Like, Wentz just seems to, like, be the architect of his own injuries by the amount he tries to wrestle his way out of contact and looks like a baby giraffe trying to walk around with just legs and limbs splayed. It's like, God, he, just stop. He felt, like, again, so when we're taken in these games, I'm, I'm, try, I'm trying to watch nine games at once and take in all the action we go back and review that you know just to be just to be ready for the podcast here so sometimes you get this like perception of the game which you're not only focused on we're trying to focus on a lot of them my perception watching Carson Wentz though it felt like he was getting hit on every single play and usually when you say that the implication is on the offensive line and, and they weren't good Julianne Davenport has to move to the right side Eric Fisher comes back Davenport got whooped um, Aaron Donald's and I mean, tw- the the Rams had 27 total logged pressures. You know we could have multiple on a play. They they did a great job. Wentz was under pressure though. 17 of his 39 dropbacks. 
the the times he was kept clean, average time to throw, 2.1. So he's getting rid of it. That kept clean on 22 dropbacks, 2.1. Time to throw when he's under pressure was almost four seconds, almost double. So like that, it, it kind of coincides, but it just feels like the line wasn't good. And Wentz is just taking hit after – he's getting hit like an option quarterback gets hit in a game. He has to get rid of the ball. So far in this offense, his average time to throw – is not a full second more than than Philip Rivers, but it's it's almost it's like three quarters of a second longer. He's a li- which is a massive amount of time. I thought he played pretty well in this game, but he has this style of like early career Ben Roethlisberger, where there's like yeah. every play there's three guys hanging off him, and Roethlisberger had the size and girth, durability, so, like width, just robustness from a physical standpoint where he could kind of get away with it and even then it started to take a fairly significant toll on Roethlisberger physically through the years Wentz may be as tall as Roethlisberger but he's like way slighter he he can't do that you can't you can't the amount of not hits but like collapsing structures that he's involved in you know where there's like four guys all collapsing in a pile and he's in the middle of it you can't do that like you you have been traded for you've got this monster contract you are the thing that needs to underpin this entire offense you need to protect that whatever about like the rest of us protecting that you need to protect you and he's not doing a good enough job of that and it's going to be an issue he's already missed time you know to start the year with that foot surgery he's Got, he got knocked out of this game because Aaron Donald folded him up. Um, like, he got knocked out just before the Colts had a chance to to make a comeback, a down three. Right. I mean, that kind of cost him the game. Yeah. Jacob Eason has to come in, throws a pick on his first pass to Jalen Ramsey. To Jalen Ramsey. My Let's point just... My point on Wentz, I, I think the quarterback, there are freak injuries where quarterbacks just – I think the Joe Burrow injury last year was a freak injury. He's in the pocket. He gets hit in the knee. That's, yeah. that's an unfortunate injury. I think with other quarterbacks, uh, Michael Vick used to get hurt a lot. I, I think that you have to do a better job of protecting yourself. The way and Wentz that must do a better job of protecting himself. The way that he's getting hit and hurt is his own fault. Now the offensive line is hemorrhaging pressure as well, but it's not even. It, they're not even. It's not even that he's taking hits. It's that he is struggling through an inevitable end of a play, causing greater problems. Like when Alex Smith uh, had Aaron Donald on his back last year when he came back remember yeah. there's that horrible play at the start and he tried to sort of he tried to like take a couple of steps and then hit the dirt right we're all cringing yeah and it's like oh god don't do that but it was relatively benign for alex smith there was a limited degree of risk in that it's like we'll struggle through and then once it's done we hit the dirt like Wentz is taking four more steps trying to carry aaron donald as donald is getting an even greater grip of him you know, it's like a gazelle trying to fight through the lion that's got its jaws clamped around his neck. Like, just accept the inevitable end of this situation here. Yeah. There's no scenario by which you get out of this in a better situation than you're going in. You're done. Just hit the dirt and hope for a quick ending. That's what Wentz needs to do more of. Uh, on the other side, so the other, the one other thing to highlight, the Colts, um, as of right now in premium stats, this will update. Second worst coverage grade in the NFL through two weeks. They've played the Seahawks. They've played the Rams. So that's a part of it, right? It's, you know, defense is dependent on who you play. But a Colts defense that was really stout early last year and have done a good job of at least not giving up big plays through the years, 
That has not been the case these uh, so far. Um, the Rams, very efficient on offense. Another pretty clean game for Matthew Stafford. Interception was a tricky one, kind of got tipped, ball bounced up, um, tried to throw another pick to Darius Leonard. Other than that, um, spreads the ball around. Cooper Cup, uncoverable. And it, it, right now, through two weeks, it's a good mesh of you know Stafford's running the offense, hitting a bunch of open receivers, and, and the Rams are – Rams are moving it, man. Cooper Cup could easily end up leading the NFL in receiving this year. Like, he is – he's the guy in that offense right now. Um, he's such a fun player to watch as well. You know what he does really well is surprise people by, like, how violently he plays the game? Yeah. There's a lot of plays where Cooper Cup catches the ball and it's near the sideline and everybody just expects the receiver to, like, take a step out of bounds. And Cup almost sort of pretends like he's about to do that. And then just as the DB, like, lets up, expecting the play's over, he, like, lowers his shoulder and runs him over and gets another five yards. Um, he is um, – I think Tej, again, I always drop Tej's name over here from, from PFF uh, R&D. I think Cup, he's, he's got a chart out there where Cup's yak above expectation. So yards after the catch, above what he should get, and Cup is always among the, uh, the league leaders. And you see it. It's not just like he had a busted coverage touchdown, right, in, in week one where he gets all this yards after the catch. But his toughness and what you're saying, like he's he's slippery. He's got some of that C.D. Lamb to him where it's just guys kind of bounce off him a little bit, plus shiftiness. There's a lot to like about Cooper Cup's game. Um, the Rams have the Bucs next week. It's going to be a great matchup. We'll talk about it, of course, of course on Thursday. But the, the Rams are probably going to enter the week with the highest PFF offense grade, team offense grade, and team defense grade. First time weeks. Tom Brady's ever played in Los Angeles. It is. We'll talk all about it on Thursday. Bizarre. First time he's going to be facing a road crowd, too. Hmm. Tom Brady. They've had as only a buck. two. Home, they've had two home as a buck, right? Yeah. Brady, Brady, I think he's done that before. He's had some home. Yeah. You know, he's never communicated as a buck. Potentially some hostile environments previously in his career. Is it hostile in Los Angeles, though? That's the uh, that's the question. I mean, it's more hostile than nobody there. Um, if we're gonna talk about the you know, so Mark Lewinsky and um, Julian Davenport got crushed because the Rams' pass rush was fantastic again. Donald finishes what eight uh, eight pressures. Yeah. This is the other, like, element of the Colts is that they haven't had their offensive line intact yet. And not just that, but when they don't have their offensive line intact, they have Julian Davenport in the lineup, and that's bad. Bad, bad. And if we're going to make excuses for people moving from left to right, let's at least give Julian (sighs) a pass for moving to the right. Not not a huge pass because he plays this poorly left tackle often. (laughs) You can can give him a, a degree of a pass for this game, but it doesn't explain the previous one. Um, he's a, I mean, he's just not a good tackle, and he's certainly not going to be a good tackle when you ask him to flip week to week one side to the other. But Julian Davenport being in the lineup is going to cause your offense some problems, and they've had that twice now. So any like on the horizon soon is going to be a situation where the Colts have their five offensive line starters healthy at the same time. That will help the offense. We talked about the Rams being a star-driven defense. Aaron Donald, 92.1 grade. Jalen Ramsey, 87.8. And, of course, Troy Reader with a 90. So those are the three stars it is for funny. the Rams. And everybody else was under 70, by the People way. People want to crap on the Rams for this strategy. But it's not like it's bad. Like, okay, it's risky, potentially. It does sort of back you into a corner where if either one of those guys is gone, you're in trouble. But building a defense around two phenomenal superstars who are arguably, certainly in one situation and arguably in the other, the best player in the NFL at their position – and you build the entire defense around those guys, it works. I mean, like, Donald is the best player in the NFL at any position, and Jalen Ramsey is a phenomenal cover guy, and those guys can 
determine the overall impact of the defense. All right, let's go to the uh, Denver Broncos 23, Jacksonville Jaguars 13. Jaguars get off uh, to a hot start. Trevor Lawrence with a really nice first drive, big-time throw for a touchdown. An ugly second game, though, for Trevor Lawrence. He's got a passing grade in the 30s. Um, Teddy Bridgewater plays another good, efficient game for the Broncos. Just to touch on Lawrence really quickly, though, it was ugly, man. He just not a lot of completions. Um, my concern with Trevor Lawrence through two games, accuracy is is off. But I feel like that's even worse because he's just not playing on time. It feels like every concept he's throwing is just a tick late in bringing defenders into it. So things that could be open or should be open are bringing defenders. It's making them tight window throws. And he's missing them as well. Or he's trying to keep them away from the defender that shouldn't, shouldn't have been there in the first place. Um, it's These are rookies, right? They're not always going to play on time. I'm just well, If you're describing Lawrence's game right now, though, timing and accuracy is, is poor. Yeah. Uh, this is one of those spots where the box score actually does a pretty good job of telling you just how bad he was. Uh, 14 of 33 for 118 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions, 3.6 yards per attempt. Not good, Bob. Um, and it wasn't good. Uh, he had a ton of turnover-worthy plays. He just didn't look good. I mean, that offense generally in Jacksonville has been ugly. Trevor Lawrence has been at the heart of it. Nothing is looking good right now for Jacksonville. Uh, great interception by fellow rookie Patrick Sertan. A again, Lawrence uh, left it inside, gave him an opportunity. Great job by Sertan uh, pulling it down. Uh, Von Miller, another nice game with six pressures. So the Broncos' defense, one of the better units in the league. Again, they've, they've played the Giants. They've played the Jags through two weeks. So my, um, you know, the question on the 2-0 and Broncos, of course, is going to be, okay, how good are they? We've talked about – we talked them up all offseason. They've got a really good roster. Uh, I think through two games – playing the Giants and the Jacks for whatever it's worth, that good roster has has worked. It's a good group of playmakers. Yeah. Teddy Bridgewater's not missing a ton of throws. He's, he was off a little bit on some deep passes yesterday, but for the most part, getting the ball to those guys. And the defense has been stout, rushing the passer and on the back end. Yeah, and it, it shows like the offensive playmakers that they have at their disposal are just so good. I mean, first week, Cortland Sutton didn't have a great game. This week, nine catches for 159 yards. Um, and, you know, we were saying sort of who – who steps up in the absence of Jerry Judy. And the answer was they didn't really need anybody to because Cortland Sutton did. Like it wasn't – Tim Patrick didn't have a huge day, like three catches for 37 yards, did get the touchdown. K.J. Hamler had one catch for five yards. Those were the sort of two options to, to really elevate. But um, like Cortland Sutton had the, the biggest game he's had for a long time. And these were the games that Teddy Bridgewater was supposed to win. So yeah. critically, that part of the plan is, is going well. Bridgewater hat was really good week one was okay better than okay was pretty good week two didn't make any critical mistakes again which is huge for him um one of the things we said heading into the season is he's never quite been the game managing quarterback people think of him as he's always turned the ball over more than that or put the ball in harm's way more than that but he has one turnover where they play through two games that's critical like that's exactly what they need from Teddy Bridgewater the question becomes what happens from week five onwards when it gets tougher like they're supposed to win the sure. first four games after that you're gonna have to face some teams where you might need more from teddy our adjusted completion percentage number is pretty good proxy of are you just throwing on target throws he was at 77 percent yesterday and again i think when you're talking about 
Drew Locke is a guy where that number's been in the 60s, you know, 63, 64, 65%, um, just giving opportunities for those playmakers. I think I think he's doing a good job there. So Broncos are 2-0. Um, I think at some point this week, the big question is going to be, are the, you know, the Panthers legit at 2-0? Are the Broncos legit at 2-0? Against the Giants and the Jags, yes, they, you know, say what you want, but they've taken care of business, the Broncos. And I'm, yeah. I'm, liking, I'm liking the way they're playing. There are so two far. games they were supposed to win, and they won them. So good for the Broncos. Anything else on this game? Uh, no. Jags the, fall to 2-0. The Jags suck. The rookies had some issues yesterday in general. So so Lawrence struggled. Let's just jump. Let's go right to the Patriots-Jets. 25-6, Patriots win. Uh, Zach Wilson with four interceptions. Tried to salvage his day. A couple big-time throws in garbage time more in the, in the fourth quarter. Uh, really tricky one for Zach Wilson because he throws three interceptions in the first half mm. with like early by the early in the second quarter not all on him Corey. at one point there was a stat where I think he didn't have an incompletion but had three picks yeah I think that sounds right it was like two completions and three interceptions or something insane yeah <sighs> uh, first interception receiver could have done better second interception Corey Davis could have done better yeah the receiver it's Corey who, who, Humble. yeah Nobody's tracking a how many interceptions are your fault stat on your way to the Hall of Fame. No? How no. many do you think Jerry caused down the years? I, look, the Hall of Fame's not Jerry Rice or bust. It's <laughs> it's just got to be above the Hall of Fame threshold. Yeah? Yeah. And you think... you think He's got to let you in. You okay. don't have to be sitting on the throne or anything like that like Jerry. He's got to let you in. Okay. Um, the other ones were ugly. Deep out, which he looked like he wanted back mid-throw. Um, chucks it up to a safety. I mean, so Zach Wilson, an ugly overall game for him with uh, with the four picks. Uh, from a Patriots standpoint, you know, defense. Look, they just they just made life difficult with tight window throws, right? Over and over and over again, they ran the ball extremely well. Um, classic old school type of Patriots, little run game and defense uh, type of type of win here. Yeah, um, I don't think this said a ton about the Patriots that we didn't already know. You know, they are they're pretty good. De- they're a good defense. They're an offense that wants to run the ball and does a reasonable job of that. And then Mac Jones is good enough to not screw it up at this point in his career. Um, he doesn't make a ton of major mistakes, and he's efficient enough to exploit the gaps that are there. And that was enough to beat a hapless Jets team that kept throwing them the football. Um, for the Jets, it's a little bit more concerning that that offense just can't get anything going right now like Zach Wilson does not look comfortable capable it's just he's playing at rhythm it's such a contrast from his preseason where everything looked effortless like it was in rhythm it was on time it was there was no thought involved in it. it was just drop back here's the play boom done like nothing is like that now it's all extra hitch it's all questioning himself like second thought it's just ugly right now the again let's compare him and trevor lawrence i mean i did think number one and number two in turnover worthy plays so far they're one and two in turnover worthy plays they're one and two in draft status one and two off the board i thought by this time i know it's only week two right i thought they would hit the ground running a little bit better and again we've seen for whatever it's worth we've seen the flashes right i mean that was our takeaway with zach wilson week one and this is why you don't always say, well, he had a rough first half, then he got better in the second half. Like, that didn't even matter for Zach Wilson this particular week because um, the bad stuff still ma- still matters. I thought that they would 
elevate their offenses a little bit more. I thought the Jets' offense would be a little bit more efficient here through two weeks. So both both the top overall, two overall picks struggled a little bit. We already broke down uh, Fields. He struggled with his turnover-worthy plays. Mac Jones, uh, believe it or not, had two turnover-worthy plays in this too. He tried to throw one right to a safety. He also fumbled in the pocket. He's got a few plays in there where he looks like a rookie. But for the most part, um, the accuracy continues to be really good. He's just hitting all, a lot of the underneath stuff. The Patriots do have to attack down the field a little bit more. They tried to dial up a few shot plays here and there. Um, but to this point, it's not a very explosive passing attack in New England at this point. You know, they yeah. that needs to get better. You know, they, I don't know if you've heard, but the Bucks are coming to town in two weeks. Mm. There might be there might be some discussion about that game. They get the Saints this week. At some point, they're probably going to have to score some more points. Zach Wilson is also through averaging the, the over three seconds per drop back or uh, per pass attempt, which is just bad. The thing hard. I want to highlight about Wilson is I think he's it depends on the narrative right like you watch him at BYU and it's like oh he's got this Aaron Rodgersy type of lower body feel and jump throws and you know he just feels it and he's good when it's going good that's the description right now it's not going good and I want to say he's sloppy with his mechanics and stuff and but there's some truth to this right a lot of his passes he's throwing off balance uh we always talk about pocket integrity a lot with the quarterbacks you drop back you have to be in a spot where the O-line knows where you are. It's just better for everything. It's better for your footwork. It's better for your velocity and accuracy. He's drifting a lot, Wilson, throwing off his back foot. And, and so now it looks like it's sloppy mechanics that's coming back to bite him. So to me, that's um, he's got to clean that up. And that's the thing to, uh, to keep an eye on going forward here for the Jets. Um, so Patriots 25-6. to Got to shout out J- Damian Harris, too, for seven missed tackles as a runner. After that fumble late last week for the Patriots, he ends up with a really good game. That run, you know, we thought they'd have a really good run game, and uh, and they showed that in this one. Yeah, Damian Harris is a really good running back. Like a fumble was a bad bad play, cost them the game, cost them big. And uh, but you were like, you know, as long as Bill Belichick doesn't like drop the hammer on him and put him in the doghouse because of that, he'll be fine. Like he is a really good running back. Yeah, uh, JC Jackson had two of those picks for the Patriots. What's your <laughs> JC Jackson stat that you uh he's like me? ten career interceptions away from matching Terrell Rivas for his career and he's only been in the league since what, twenty seventeen? Yeah. Yeah, something like that. The that, the ball just finds him. It's crazy. It really is. JC Jackson. So two more picks. He just uh man in, uh, the uh, passer rating against on J.C. Jackson in his career is like in the 30s or 40s, right? I mean, it's, it is crazy because of all those picks. Yeah. It's Patriots 25, Jets 6. Let's go uh, 49ers-Eagles, 49ers 17-11. to 11. Uh, Once again, when you're watching all nine games, and I'm, I'm looking at all the scores, this game was like 7-3 to three for a while. Like There was just not a lot of scoring and just ugly offense for a lot of the day. What a weird game. Uh, Jalen Hurts ends up with what 190 passing. I, what did he end up with? 91 came on one pass. Yeah, that wasn't a score to Quez Watkins, um, but um, some plays left on the table for the Eagles, and uh, the Niners pull this one off to go two and zero. Yeah, and no uh, Trey Lance. I didn't see Trey Lance at all. Thought you know, <laughs> it's just funny. You think, hey, well they'll, they'll scale up the Trey Lance package a little bit. It was successful. You know, we'll keep teams honest. It's like no. I'm sure the Eagles spent like a day prepping for it and then they just don't even bring it out of the cupboard. It's just sitting there and it's Jimmy Garoppolo's game all, all, all day long. Um, I, it would be interesting to know from any of these teams running this thing, like what are the criteria 
for putting him out there? Like, when do you, when does it trigger? And you're like, eh, this is the Trey Lance play. Like, what is the, what is the decision-making process for that to happen? Well, presumably, if it's a change of pace, you have something planned. I don't know. I don't, but like, what, like what makes you go third and short at midfield? Yeah. I don't know. What makes you go now? And then, therefore, what makes you never do it? Um, so, yeah, Trey Lance didn't get featured, but the next team still has to prepare for him because it's going to be part of the offense. This was interesting, though, from the Philadelphia point of view because this was kind of an answer, right? How much was week one a product of the Atlanta Falcons defense, and what does it look like when you face a real defense? Um, and it didn't look as good, but it still looked like it should have been a little bit more productive than it was. Um, you want to hear a fascinating stat here? Sure. Jalen Hurts' average depth of target was 15.7 in this game. So, I mean, that's part of it, too. In week one, we said, well, he had the lowest average depth of target. Of course, all these stats over it. Uh, Premium stats 2.0, PFF Elite. By the way, appreciate everybody watching on on YouTube. If you're there, give us that thumbs up, please. We always appreciate that. That gets the thing moving so everybody can uh, get here and listen. Spread the word. Um, But that average depth of target going for, I assume that's the highest of the week. Completely different offense. And that's the type of offense, you know, he Hurts ran the ball well again. They can run it because of him. And that's like the old, you know, the college op, uh, option offenses. You know, the quarterback's a big part of the running game. Then you attack down the field. Um, but it feels like they could have uh, worked the underneath game a little bit more in this one. Yeah, it was it was a weird game because of that. They don't, they don't still seem to have a great feel for just what this offense should look like. And same with the receivers. It's like, you know, Jalen Rager is showing signs of life this season. But it's still a little bit like, okay, he runs bubble screens and then we send him deep every now and again. And we don't really do anything else with him. Yeah. Um, which is like last year. They, they seem to have this core or a collection of receivers that everybody agreed upon had talent and had components of a really good receiving core. But they couldn't seem to figure out how to piece it together and make this like balanced group. Like in theory, this should look similar to Buffalo's, right? Okay, you're, you know – you're not like for like. You're, you don't, you're not as good as the Buffalo Bills receivers. But in terms of complementary skill sets, this group seems like it would mesh quite well. But they don't seem to have figured out how to piece it together the way the Bills have and construct a competent passing game off of it all. And obviously Jalen Hurts last year wasn't necessarily helping that either. But this year it seems like we still have the same problems. Like, okay, Quez Watkins has got some speed and we're going to throw deep to him every now and again. That's good for a 91-yarder. That was good. Sure. But, like, what are we doing with the rest of these guys? And why is it not a better, coherent picture? And then on the other side, you know, the Eagles' defense did a pretty good job against the Niners' rushing attack. Uh, they didn't get anything going other than a 21-yarder by Jermichael, uh, Jermichael Hasty, who looked really fast. He runs 4-5-5, four, 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 five, five, Sam. looked really fast. The Niners always seem to have fast-looking running backs, even when they don't run fast 40s. Um, but that was pretty much it. You know, Jimmy Garoppolo has a what, QB sneak for a touchdown it was just a kind of a weird blah game but Garoppolo missed a few throws that were open the, the so the Niners passing attack couldn't get any rhythm because a couple drops here and there and, and Garoppolo missing a throw uh, so just a an odd 17 to 11 game Niners defense played uh played a pretty good game though overall I would say um I think one thing that the Eagles have in their favor is that that offensive line still looks very good um they got uh, they got uh, Landon Dickerson in the lineup. He didn't play that well, but I still think that overall... Everybody around him, though. Yeah, and I think that overall that's... like I, I think the transition from Jason Kelsey to Landon Dickerson is one that is coming. 
Um, and if Dickerson can get some experience and get uh, acclimatized to the NFL, that's a good thing for them. Um, but that group overall, like my lad, I got paid is like had one of the best games of the week in terms of left tackle wrecking dudes at the second level that's what my lotta does i mean not surprising right like that dude's 380 pounds or something like if he gets if he gets a hit on you you're not withstanding that so from an eagle standpoint i like what you said about the the identity piece of it um they have they have pieces to put together with a good offensive line a, a quarterback who can run who's generally been accurate and look Jalen Hurts like one his best throw one of his best throws was to, to Jalen Rager who stepped out a couple times yeah and he put it on him I mean there it was just again it was an odd game where like good plays didn't get rewarded and and all this stuff the Eagles have pieces to have a pretty good efficient offense here yeah if the, if the offensive line's playing like you said with everybody everybody playing pretty well across the board except Dickerson struggles um so 17-11 Niners move to 2-0 and here let's go to the Saints Panthers here uh, before we do, though, I do want to tell you about our friends over at Fantrax. Before we get into that next game, Fantrax is free. Fantasy Football League Manager is the most customizable, easy to use, and feature-rich platform in the entire industry. PFFs play in our leagues on Fantrax this season because they feature multi-team trades, bonus points for touchdowns of different yardage, and you can create a free account now using promo code PFF at Fantrax.com PFF. Get a chance to win a trip to any regular season game this year for you and your entire league, plus $6,000 Incredible deal. It's promo code PFF at Fantrax.com slash PFF. So the Saints-Panthers game, Panthers 26, Saints 7. So the Saints have now beaten the Packers 38-3. to Yep. Panthers beat the Saints 26-7. to Imagine if the Panthers played the Packers. That's how this works, right? Yeah, it's like a 50-point kicking. It would probably be pan- a neutral field. Panthers are probably favored by 50. Yeah. Probably by 50 over the, pan- sure. the Packers. Um, so Sam Darnold another so he had two turnover worthy plays which were not great one of them he did throw a shovel pass to a defensive lineman it's okay that was a play Jameis would have been proud of listen to me other than those two plays sam darnold spreading the ball around did a pretty nice job the the panthers are scheming it up offensively they're getting mccaffrey isolated dj moore is doing a great job those receivers the panthers are tough to cover um and then Jameis just fully reverted back to full Jameis Coaster. Yes. All right. Let's let's take these one at a time. One right? at a time here. Because one thing that that grinds my gear, so to speak, is inconsistency with thought and just in, like not being able to maintain a train of logic into one place to the other. If you are one of these people who is expect like people are talking about an apology form for Sam Darnold, right? Like after two games. If you are one of these people that is looking to take victory laps over Sam Darnold, how can you not look across the field at Jameis Winston and not see the folly of your ways? Because we're now, like, this is the week where, pe- where you've just been given a, a lesson in how silly this is. A week ago, people were saying, well, LASIK surgery fixed Jameis Winston, and now within Sean Payton's offense, we're going to get this Pro Bowl caliber player and maybe this is the year he's put it all together, and Jameis Winston is great now. And then full Jameis came back this week, throwing the ball like off his left foot, spinning backwards into triple coverage. Um, like, okay, that one was you know third and long, and it was basically a punt. But Jameis had 
a bunch of other ridiculous plays in this one as well. This was the full Jameis experience again. A PFF grade of like 35. And this was just, it's a lesson of its sample size, right? We know Jameis Winston is extremely volatile, swings game to game. And just because he went well in one game and 20 snaps in the preseason, it might be a little soon to start running victory laps and saying, told you so. And then on the other side of the field, you've got two games where Darnold hasn't done anything catastrophic to screw it up. And you're like, well, where's my apology? Huh? All you Sam Darnold doubters. Right now, Sam Darnold. Are you to two people on Twitter again? No. Right now, Sam Darnold is doing exactly what we said was possible, which is grading about where he grazed before, a little bit higher maybe. Uh, But the numbers are through the roof because he's within Joe Brady's offense and he has much better receivers to work with. And as you say, there were two turnover-worthy plays, one of which was ridiculous. Um, So neither of which, uh, or one of which was an interception, but the other which doesn't get punished. So you have to bear in mind like the negative that isn't necessarily showing up on the stat sheet. And then you have to bear in mind what that offense is creating for him. Like, there are a lot of open throws here. He didn't play. So, Darnold did not play nearly as clean of a game as he did in week one. Correct. I will say that. But I will say that he is looking better within this offense yes. than he did with the Jets, which is a, a product of the entire offense being better. It, it is that Adam Gase to Joe Brady thing. This system is better. He will be more productive. But the big question is how much of that is on him. And right now... It's not that much. He is looking better, but not so much that I'm like, well, I'm. Cl- we were clearly wrong in thinking that Darnold can't be that. Su- like, I mean, if Darnold has an entire season, hater. So, but my point is, if Darnold has an entire season like these first two games, what is your conclusion for him going forward? He's closer to a mid-tier quarterback, which was what I said. Right, but he's coming up for like now. You need to make a call, right? You're staring down the barrel of the Baker Mayfield decision with Sam Darnold as well. You've picked up his fifth-year option, but you're in the same situation. He is due the next contract, right? So if Darnold has a season that looks like the first two games, if we get 17 games of this, what is you're now GM, GM Palazzolo for the Panthers. What are you doing? They're stuck with him next year, right? What does that mean, though? Because you're, it's contract I, time. I'm still looking for someone else. I'm his agent, and I'm saying my dude just had a 4,500-yard season with, you know, whatever it is, seven point something, eight, eight yards per attempt. I want $45 million a year now, please. Well, that's definitely not happening. Okay. Well, if that's not happening, then everything Right now, just... he's got a 77.4 passing grade. Yes. 74 overall grade. Had a fumble as a runner, I believe. Um, rushing grade's poor because of that couple turnover-worthy plays yesterday he's got to come back on. It's only two games, man. It's right. really – it's two games. So uh, if he's been really efficient, he's completing – his actual completion percentage is 68.5. Adjusted is 78. I mean, they're both – they're good. He's, he's got a lot of open throws. He's missed a few open throws too. There's a lot of open throws in this offense. So I'm still chalking it up to they're doing a great job of isolating right. McCaffrey and isolating DJ Moore and getting these guys open. Which is my point. If you come away from this season with 17 games of this Sam Darnold and you're still not happy giving him a big contract, then you can't take a victory lap. This hasn't been a success. But you're just you're speaking to like three people here. Like there's no victory. Listen, our prediction coming in, and we'll see where the grade ends up this year. The prediction coming in was that Darnold would grade a little bit better. Maybe not astronomically better, but grade better. But he would really have really good production. He's averaging eight yards per attempt, and the passer rating is 100.5, and the whole deal. 
right? He'll have better numbers this year. Like, our pre- there's no apology when we predicted what's happening so far. So, yeah, there's still more to see. There's still a lot more to see here. Uh-huh. I'm impressed by the Panthers' defense, though. They're they're flying around. They're getting pressure. Not uh, a single big-time throw for Darnell yesterday, by the way. Yeah, I understand. Zero. None. I watched the game. There was a lot, there was a lot of good – there was a lot of open receivers. Um, still, though, deep ball's still an issue for him. Threw one out of bounds. You know, should have given his receiver a chance. Uh, Morgan Fox has been a beast. Oh, I can't believe I just said that. Morgan Fox, dominant pass rusher here through two games. He had seven pressures on just 20 rushes yesterday. He's been just outstanding, kind of coming out of nowhere here um, as far as his – you know, he had 33 pressures last year for the Rams, but he was awesome yeah. yesterday. Um, you know, Brian Burns off the edge, doing a really nice job. I'm impressed with what the Panthers are doing defensively. They were one of those new-agey type of defenses last year with – Jeremy Chin playing an all-around hybrid role, and they were so young, and we, we we anticipated a step forward for the Panthers, and they're they're making it, and they're gonna they got Davis Mills on Thursday Night Football, so yeah, we they're gonna be three and zero. They're gonna be three and zero. They're probably gonna be three and zero, and they're de- as a we, team, they're definitely a lot better than I thought they would be coming into this year. I, they haven't yet been exposed for that left side of the offensive line, which I still think is a major problem, and just hasn't been attacked well yet. Yeah, um, but they are a better side functioning. That defense looks a lot nastier than I thought it would be. Um, and so far, the offense is doing extremely well. Like, they have, <clears throat> they have the talented receiver to do damage, and Sam Darnold is playing well enough to facilitate that. The big issue was, well, what happens when teams just overwhelm the left side of that offensive line? And as yet, that hasn't happened. So that at least suggests that that group collectively, including receivers, quarterback, offensive line, Joe Brady, are good enough that even if that, that you need an actually very good defense to turn their biggest weakness into a problem, which is huge for that team. I just want to highlight again, Christian McCaffrey through two games has 11 first downs through the air, through the air. They are like, he has been an absolute, he's a 93 receiving grade, an absolute weapon. So he's got 14 catches, 11 for a first down uh, for first downs as a running back is incredible. Um, so they're doing, I just want to reiterate again, with all those receivers, a great job of using those guys. Also want to mention the Saints missing Marshawn Lattimore, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, and Marcus Davenport, maybe others in this game I'm forgetting. But those guys were all missing. So that if you're asking for, like, what was the difference in the Saints week one versus week two, that was a big part of it, sure. losing three of their <coughs> legitimate starters, three excellent players. So I don't think it's panic time for the Saints. It's just this might be the new Saints experience. You're not getting that Drew Brees level of consistency. Like Drew Brees, remember we used to say, how do you game plan against Drew Brees and Tom Brady? Like you just kind of hope they have a bad game. There's not like a thing that you can do to stop them necessarily. Uh, The Saints might have more of these games where Jameis is one of our highest graded and now he's one of our lowest graded the following week. Yeah. I mean, the Jameis roller coaster is still a thing. He just has that streak of – trying to do too much with the ball well on plays where it's clearly not going to happen um the number of times in his career that he has thrown while his body is completely I'm, I'm i'm trying to lay horizontally backwards here he's throwing like this yeah where's my podcast meme guy this is my my james throw yeah how has that happened so many times in his career it's not just a one-off there's like five of those in his career. It takes a special level of confidence to still think you can pull that off after like 15 attempts of not, you know? 
Like, whatever, if you're Mahomes and you've hit it 58 times, and you're like, yeah, then this makes sense, right? But if you're Jameis, Except last night. if you're Jameis and you're like 0-16 lifetime on those plays, what makes you think that this is the one? Like 17 is where we're going to hit this. No, Jameis, it's done. It's not happening. But anyway, like all three of his, all three of his turnover-worthy plays in this game were like, extend the play, it's collapsing around you, it's going south. No, 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 I can still get it. I can still make it happen. Yeah. It's still on. Have faith, boss. He's trying to do a little bit, a little bit too much. And then his boss, Sean Payton on the sideline, is just like, yeah, Drew didn't do this that much. I'm not <laughs> sure. Didn't do this. I'm not sure what to do with it's this. It's not what I called, Jameis. It's not what I called. Well. The, uh, the Jameis Coaster goes to New England next week after they just had four interceptions. So who the heck knows what's going to happen next week. Uh, Raiders 26, moving to 2-0, 26-17 to over the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, another, another fun game that was like low scoring for a while. They're keeping it close. Derek Carr, though, five big-time throws. He just made throw after throw when they needed it. And just uh, really impressive to watch. Uh, what Derek Carr has done here through two weeks. Slow start in the Ravens game, but pretty much the second, starting with the second half of the Ravens game and into this one, Carr has just been fantastic. And not even just this year. I mean, Carr has, I think, taken leaps and bounds over the last couple of seasons. Um, he, from the start of last year, really, he's bounced back to that kind of 2016 level where he looked like he was going to be one of that, you know, next group of young quarterbacks that were, that were going to be at the top of the league and then got that ankle break at the end of that season and took a long time to ever get back to being that kind of quarterback again. Finally looks like he's there. Um, and he's improved at the sort of weird stuff where he was in this Kirk Cousins world of there's just something missing. Like when, when the situation changes and you need to adjust your play, he didn't really. It was this flat line of this is just how I play every single down. Now there's more of that to him. Like when the situation adjusts, he is willing to be more aggressive when this when he needs to and, and change the way he plays to adapt to the situation. And that's why I think that you're seeing a lot of these games where they're pulling it out of the fire late on because Carr is making those big plays. Um, I think he leads the league right now in big-time throws. Like, I think he's tied it, with um, Kyler Murray and Brady with seven, perhaps. He might have more. He might no, have he's got now. more than that. He's definitely he's got at eight. least eight. Uh, which I think, yeah, it might be one behind. I'm watching behind. him right now in real time. So One behind Kyler Murray. Seam route to Hunter Renfro was fantastic. Corner route to uh, to Moreau for a touchdown. And then the rugs. I mean, the rugs play when it's uh, it's 16-14 to 14 Raiders in car with an unblocked blitzer coming at him. Just stands in there, chucks it up, puts it in a perfect spot over uh, the corner and Minka, by the way. And uh, you get the rugs experience. So look, we've said tied with nine. Who's got Le- nine? Leads the league. Good for Carr. Very imp- just. He made these huge throws when they needed it. They're up six. Drops one in the bucket two to to Darren Waller down the field with uh, two fifty five left. So all those added up. The Raiders sealed the deal. Their defense still getting a ton of pressure flying around. The, I think the point we've made with their offense is. With all the, the weapons that they have, with Waller and Ruggs and Edwards, and I think they're going to be okay. They're going to continue to be okay. Carr doing a nice job there. The defense just, it does look better, man. It's just a much better defense this year. Um, Casey Hayward was fantastic yesterday. That's huge. Break, uh, he broke on a ball by Big Ben. You know, sometimes corners just 
they just have a feel, man. They they get to they get to places they're not necessarily supposed to be. Hayward has that. Um, he's been in tight coverage. He has been one of the biggest offseason pickups for any team. Yeah, look, they they their defense is definitely better. Uh, Max Crosby had another big game, six pressures. Uh, he leads the league in pressures, I think, through the first two games. Um, but like this is the Pittsburgh Steelers offensive line that we were saying is a problem coming into the season. So they've had two games now where they the offensive line is definitely a massive contributing factor to how good that pass rush has looked. But I think the more important point is the back end with guys like Casey Hayward because they're secondary on paper looked miserable heading into the season, which was when Casey Hayward was coming off like the first bad year of his career. This is a guy that's always graded well, who has like, you know, PFF career grades to put him up there with Richard Sherman and Darrell Rivas over over their careers over the last decade. And then out of the blue, there's like one really bad year, his last season with the Chargers. And given his age, it's sort of fairly natural to look at that and go, well, Casey Hayward's done. I mean, this was a nice, you know, really talented cover or cover three style sl- uh, slot corner. Narrative. Right. But now he's reached that age, and he just can't play anymore. We're, we're out on Casey Hayward. It's game over. So he goes to the Raiders. You're like, okay, well, at least it's the right scheme fit. You know, it makes sense. Right. Um, and maybe there's a little bit in the tank in terms of him just not being Damon Arnett and that kind of thing. Uh, but he's actually bounced back so far. Now we'll see how long it lasts, if he can sustain it throughout the, uh, the season. But if Casey Hayward, if last year was actually just a blip, you know, maybe he was battling through something all season long, or maybe it was just a bad year, Whatever it is, if Casey Hayward is able to bounce back to like a higher, a high enough level of play, that's like that's transformative for a defense that didn't have a corner that's capable of holding up. Another really nice game for Max Crosby. So again, I'm I'm impressed. I'm impressed with the Raiders' defense. Nate Hobbs has a really nice game for the you know the rookie corner had a really good preseason. Trayvon Mullen. So you just look at the highest graded Raiders having three corners. This is just new territory for them. Casey Hayward, Nate Hobbs, Trayvon Mullen. Um, Hobbs is the big surprise there is a late round pick Mullen was the guy I said okay maybe there's a better fit here for the uh you know in this in this new system the Gus Bradley system and then Hayward like you said he's got a track record there Uh, from a Steelers perspective TJ Watt goes down with a groin injury after only 16 snaps and he was already dominating has it for the game 95.3 pass rush grade that's dominant in seven rushes but um that could have been a huge mismatch it would have been if if TJ Watt's out there the entire time against um Alex Leatherwood this is a nine point game and that could have been a nine point advantage that Pittsburgh had in terms of what TJ Watt was going to do to Alex Leatherwood I mean Justin Houston took Alex Leatherwood to school and at at Justin Houston's peak maybe he was as good as TJ Watt is now so that's the kind of player mismatch we're talking about here and they they barely got him before injury took him down and and obviously eliminates that threat. And then you can start focusing everywhere else with the offensive line. So that, yeah, could have been an absolutely huge uh, moment for Pittsburgh. Um, like my, my concern, look, the Steelers' lowest graded players. I'm going to get more Minka Fitzpatrick hate, but again, the ball just went over his head for the rugs play. Um, and there's others, of course. The lowest graded Steelers are all in the secondary. Cameron Sutton, James Pierre, Trey Norwood, Justin Lane. I mean, there are a handful of guys, uh, plays. The, the guys who played those top three there, the lowest graded players, three corners, and then Minka at safety. That was my Steelers' concern coming into the year. Are they deep enough at corner specifically to have the same type of defense that they've had in previous years? And uh, this game with no no Joe Hayden, you know, kind of exploited that a little bit. 
Yeah, um, and for Pittsburgh, I think one of the most concerning things was Deontay Johnson getting injured on literally the very last play of the game um, when you're playing for nothing at this point. Like, you're, the game's gone. Yeah. Um, and he, get, he goes down, knee injury. We don't know how serious that is yet, but it certainly didn't look great. If they lose him, that's a real blow to that offense. Uh, Big Ben had some ups and downs. He, he did make a few nice nice passes down the field. I I remain in the camp that the the Steelers' best bet is to feed Chase Claypool down the field and, and let him let him ball out. Let him be the guy that's uh, that's creating chunk plays there because I think they're in there. Najee Harris had a really nice touchdown. He is tough to tackle. Like the Steelers have the pieces to run an effective offense. Stiff arm Jonathan Abram uh, Abram yeah. into oblivion. The Steelers have the pieces. I know the offensive line's got to hold up. They have the weapons to to run an effective offense. Big Ben, though, he's moving around isn't great. And, you know, again, he it's like he's he's battling through to, to get the ball down the field. And, and he did it better yesterday than he did in week one. Um, but, you know, he left it, left some plays on the table as well. So 26-17, Raiders moved to 2-0, and man. Yeah. Which is huge in a division, obviously, that has Kansas City, who all of a sudden drop a game. Yeah, Kansas City did lose. I'm, I'm trying to go in order of what happened. Do you want to just go right to Sunday Night Football? Sure. Okay, let's do it. Baltimore 36, Kansas City Chiefs 35. What a crazy, ridiculous game. Um, it did. The, the Why can't Chiefs, Baltimore and Kansas City ever play a normal game well, against each other? That's the Seahawks question. Why yeah. The Seahawks well, they can't do it against game? anybody ever. Right. But this, these two teams can't play a normal game, specifically against each other. It was um, incredible back and forth. We talked a lot of, about the Ravens blitz and how effective Mahomes was against that blitz and all that stuff. Neither, neither quarterback actually – well, Mahomes was fine, hit a lot of throws, two turnover-worthy plays, the one, one he got away with, and then the one that essentially brings the Ravens back in. Yeah. Right? For all of the Mahomes spectacular plays through the years, I'm actually surprised he hasn't thrown more interceptions like the one that he threw – where he's, you know, he's got a guy hanging on him and he chucks it up and, and throws it away. I'm surprised he hasn't had more of those since 2018 when he took over. This play came back to bite. Um, Mahomes also, again, incredibly efficient. I mean, he's averaged over 10 yards per attempt. But we're talking the Ravens, like Travis Kelsey ran through four, the entire Ravens defense essentially. Yes. On a, on a little hitch route. Um, Byron Pringle runs through the whole defense for a 40-yarder. I think Mahomes' stats massively inflated by what the Chiefs did after the catch and the Ravens being unable to tackle. This is such an interesting matchup every time these two teams play because it involves schematic changes on both sides of the ball that don't really apply for a lot of other teams. Like the Ravens against the Raiders on Monday Night Football, the Ravens zero blitzed, which means we're sending everybody. There's no safety help. Everybody, on, everybody that isn't blitzing is locked in man coverage one-on-one and the rest, of the, the rest of the players are rushing, trying to get pressure immediately. They did that 13 times against the Raiders. Now, Patrick Mahomes carves up the blitz like no other player in the NFL, and they do it specifically to the Ravens, like really badly in previous encounters. So coming into this game, you're like, well, what a, do ba- can Baltimore fundamentally change what they do on defense? Because that's how they play, but you can't do that against Mahomes. You literally can't do that. It's just handing them points. So you have to change something up. And then the point has always been that this Baltimore offense is stylistically well-suited to actually combat how the Chiefs play the game. But for some reason, they're never never able to 
run the game plan. Their ability to get down in a hurry against Kansas City every time they play them. Which they did again. And then the game plan goes out the window. And then, like, play one, pick six. They're like, come on. What are you doing? Then once Baltimore – they so they, they shook it off, to be fair. It wasn't Lamar's fault. Like, receiver falls over, and he basically just throws it to the space where the receiver is supposed to be standing, pick six. They shook it off. They got back in the groove. But now, instead of being ahead, you know, you get the first touchdown and then Kansas City answers and you get the second touchdown, Kansas City answers. Now you have to answer. Like Kansas City is the one scoring the touchdowns and you're trying to get back level every time. And it's just, I think it's a different world mentally to be in, you know, taking the lead and then watching them try and catch up. And if you steal a possession here, all of a sudden we're in great shape versus you trying to get level again and knowing that like, 25 seconds later, Kansas City's going to put another touchdown on the board and you got to do it all over again. <clears throat> but they were doing it. And when they were running their, their option offense, like they're optioning off Chris Jones on the edge. And it's like, I mean, that guy might be a decent edge rusher, but if you option him in space against Lamar Jackson and a running back, I mean, it's just, it's a no-win situation. That guy has no hope. They could have done that and average like 12 yards per carry just around Chris Jones. So Baltimore's offense was looking good. And in particular, I think, why would, I don't understand why they pass so much. They were running at will, and it's safer. So just run the ball. Yeah, the Ravens um, absolutely dominated up front, man. The, uh, coming out of this game, as of, as of right now, still, still pending review, we've got the Ravens within, with a 77.2 run blocking grade, led by... The great, once again, great Alejandro Villanueva. <laughs> you push him back to the left side, and the dude's an elite player. 91 point. Look at his great. Look at his back-to-back grades here. Yeah, last week was like a four. Now, he had a 44 <laughs> grade in week one. <laughs> 44, and then an 89.5 in week two. All right, fantastic Villanueva. Now, my point is just <laughs> dominant up front. Um, they average the 6.1 yards per, per rush. Yeah, the, the Chiefs' run defense grade right now is 29 and it's what you felt so when you opt just from a grading standpoint right when you option off of chris jones that's not like a bad play by him that's just they're they're making you wrong whatever you do they're going to make you wrong but what you to earn a bad run defense grade you get blocked right that's that's how that's where the bad run defense comes in from the chiefs or the great run blocking comes in from the ravens it was a dominant outing up front and now well, look we were re-watching some plays too and you see classic Ravens you have these poor linebackers who they take one false step they're like where's the ball you take one false step and before you know it you got an offensive lineman in your face and you're not shedding that block because you have to anticipate it and and you're done Ravens were doing this over and over and over again winning blocks using misdirection using creativity and then oh by the way Lamar just on design runs for six missed tackles and he's just weaving in and out I mean you're right it was so much more efficient and the times I can think of all the mistakes. I can't believe the Ravens scored 36 points with all the mistakes they made. Now, the Chiefs made mistakes too. We'll talk about it in a sec. But the Ravens get into the red zone and they throw it three times. One's a pick. Lamar throw, This is a bad pick by Lamar. Throws yeah. it up to Tyron Matthew. He overthrew the double coverage and hit Tyron Matthew with the, with the pass. It's funny. All the, all the analysis of that pick was focused on like the misread and how he should have known that uh, Tyron Matthew was going to drop in and be there. Even if you remove Tyron Matthew from the play, like if you just delete him from the play, he's not there. Like we Photoshop him out. It's still a terrible read. 
he's still throwing into bracket coverage right. with a guy that's never open. Like, even like, forget Tyron Matthew, it's a terrible play. Add him in, and it's like, what, what did you even, what were you even thinking? So the Ravens had the, the Sammy Watkins falls down pick six. Yep. This, they get into the red zone, throw a pick, um, giving up massive long touchdowns to the Chiefs. Um, in part by Travis Kelsey being awesome, in part by like, hey, one of you guys make a tackle. I mean, there's so many uh, negatives for the Ravens here. And they still scored 36 points. They were still that dominant on the ground. Um, we'll talk about, let's talk about the fourth and one decision in a minute here. From the Chiefs' perspective, like you just always feel like they're going to score, right? And when they don't, it's like a massive win for the other team. But yeah, Mahomes ends up with that. It's... It was, it was almost like what the Browns did to them in week one, right? Except in reverse. Baker has that interception where a guy's on yeah. him, and their running back fumbles. They're in field goal range to win the game, and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire puts the ball on the ground. Incredible play by Adafi Owe. It really was. Baltimore just hung around just enough. They never quite got out of sight, and they hung around just long enough. They actually did – they did the, the game plan that we've been saying they should always do. They actually did that. They just did it the hard way. Like, they did it from the position of, of disadvantage as opposed to the position of strength all game long and somehow hung around long enough that one critical mistake from the Chiefs was enough to give it to, – to swing it back in their favor. Um, yeah, Owe uh, punches the ball out. Like, he's getting blocked. And it was like his offhand manages to get it around, just punt the ball out. And he um, recovered it. Yeah, away. and dives on the top of it. Incredible. With Edwards Hilaire getting buried by the pile, trying desperately to kick it away yeah. so that O.A. can't grab it. Great play by him. Transforms it. Gives Baltimore the ball back. But, like, the Chiefs have three timeouts still. Uh, Baltimore are not going to be able to run out the clock without getting a first down. And so you think, not a problem. We're averaging six yards per attempt. Just run the ball four times and we're golden. Uh, they struggle. They end up with this fourth and one they call run three times to get it to fourth, and, and one. it's the yeah. perfect like situation at the end of the game because there's maybe never been an offense in NFL history that you would like to have the ball less than Kansas City and Patrick Mahomes with like minimal seconds left on the clock, needing to go distance to put points on the board. So you have Baltimore, one of the more anal analytically driven woke quote-unquote franchises who understand perfectly what all the data says to do facing the most extreme team ever to be presented with this situation and it's like of course you go for it on fourth and one how can you possibly trust your defense who has already given up 35 points to stop Mahomes more than you trust your offense to get one yard to end the game and you know they did they ended up saying yeah let's go for it let's win the game right here and it's the right move in some ways, it's a glaringly obvious move, but I still think it's an important milestone because there are teams that would not have even thought about making that decision. It was not exactly. Remember the, the famous fourth and two decision Bill Belichick made right. on Sunday Night Football? It was fourth and two, and it was in part, when coaches talk about game flow and all that stuff, it was in part because the Patriots were not stopping Peyton Manning the entire game. Yes. And they're like, we don't trust stopping Peyton Manning with whatever, 40 seconds to get into field goal range. It was almost the same exact thing. Exactly. Except if the Ravens didn't get this, the Chiefs were like two yards away from field goal range, right? I mean, they were there pretty much. Um, but it is one of those things where you're weighing the value of one play. We have to execute one fourth and one and we win. Win probability is 100 Done. if we execute this. Yeah. Versus we don't get it and we still have a chance to win. But we have to stop Patrick Mahomes 
I mean, if you don't get it, I mean, it's again, you're, you're, they're pretty much in field goal range. If you punt it, we have to stop Patrick Mahomes from driving 40 yards, maybe to get into field goal range. So there's a lot of different variables there versus one play and the Ravens go and get it. Um, I always reference our, uh, we, we love the off season, Sam. How about the off season storylines here? The chiefs trade a first round pick for Orlando Brown. The Ravens replace Orlando Brown with Alejandro Villanueva, who has to move to the left side. And they use that draft pick for Odafe Owe. Odafe forces the fumble and recovers it to save the game for the Ravens. And then Villanueva has the key block on the fourth and one. He knocks Chris Jones off the ball. They run power. They're like, Allie, we're running behind you. (laughs) Average left tackle that he still is, who was elite yesterday. Knocks Chris Jones off the ball for Lamar's first down. I don't think I've ever seen you happier than Villanueva. So I, sorry, I, a good game. I was sad after Monday night when he got destroyed. So this is – it's a similar situation to Detroit, right? They flip uh, Panay Sewell from right tackle to left tackle. It's like, oh, great, Panay's fixed. Like the right tackle stuff was just a nightmare, and we don't have to live through that anymore. For Detroit, it's kind of a great problem to have. Like, hey – we got two great left tackles. Now one of them's our rookie, and we just got to figure out who plays right tackle now. For Baltimore, it's like, well, now what do you do? Like, Ronnie Stanley is going to come back, and he's one of the best left tackles in the NFL. Let Villanueva work it out. And Villanueva can't play right tackle. Our our friend Mitchell Schwartz on Twitter is like, man, poor right right tackle play has been set back 100 years over the last, you know, a couple weeks. Everybody's just got left tackle problems. Well, they need to – they're going to have to find somebody that's that's only got two right tackles and make some sort of swap. Make a switch here. Um you know how most linemen are like switching from left to right is like asking like throwing with the other hand which it's it's not i mean it can't be what is your uh what's your analogy here because people keep doing different things so okay this is worth the time here people say switching from left to right is like asking a pitcher to throw with another hand that's not right okay because because i if i throw 90 with my right hand i'll throw 50 with my left hand and i can't, I can't get throw. a little leaguer out. i can't right, you throw can't. with my left that hand. is a terrible analogy it doesn't count I kind of like it's moving from shortstop to second base, but it's probably more difficult than that because okay, it's so specific. What that is so. Let's um, move on to the next one. Wiping, wiping with the wrong hand. Wiping with the wrong is, hand is I've seen used, and then Ali and Villanueva with his way of words, he said it was something like being twelve years old and trying to explain mitochondria or something. Saw like that. That, that so, was strange. Um, I don't know. I'll go with Ali on this one. Maybe it's maybe it's that. Can I give you my one? Yeah. Um, I've seen also people say it's like shooting left-handed in basketball, which seems better than no, the again, pitching thing. Again, if the drop-off, if, if an NBA player shot with the other hand, they would go from NBA player to, like, high school player. But some NBA players can shoot left-handed and be okay. Yeah, maybe. Um, I think it's like uh, which leg forward you have when you're skateboarding or, or uh, snowboarding which is something that you don't really think about. And when you, the first time you go snowboarding, when you go to like rent the board, they're like, which way do you stand? It's because you need, the boards are different, right? So they need to know like, are you left or right foot forward? And if you've never like done this before and somebody asks you, you're like, I, I don't know. I, I, they both feel okay. And then you guess, right? And they give you the board and you, got up the, the, you get up to the top of the mountain and you discover you guessed wrong because instead of coming down in a neat like S shape consistently, you're going like zigzagged. Yeah. So I think it's like that, where in theory you can do it, but naturally it ju- it's just wrong and it, it breaks you. It doesn't function. I just want to say I can't relate to any sport that requires that much balance. Of course you Skateboarding, can. Skateboarding, snowboarding, or anything like that. But you're prob- that's probably similar. Well, look, know. the physics involved in you trying to 
be on a snowboard feels Pretty like high a center bad. of gravity over here. Well, high center of gravity and just the inertia of 300 pounds coming down the mountain. I mean, usually when you describe 300 pounds coming down the mountain, that's like a, that's like a, you know, it's an avalanche or a snow, like a, a like a not, rock. I am not 300 pounds. A boulder. I am Josh Allen. I'm 250. 250? Yeah. No. Today no, I'm you're Josh not. Allen. You're not 250. You're closer to 300 than 250. It would help if I could just wear jerseys on the show every time. That would help my Would it? Do you think that's slimming? I've got like four jerseys to choose from. Brunel. <laughs> I've got a Goff jersey that Neil bought me. i got a Devin Sill jersey. Brunel Goff. Devin Sill. Bengals jersey. So the Chiefs get demoralized defensively. Tyron Matthew has those two picks, but also some other pretty bad plays in there as well. So his grade is going to be up and down. And uh, Lamar had his own ups and downs. Um, I thought Mahomes was fine other than the turnover-worthy plays. So weird, just a weird overall game. Ravens saving their season, man, against the Chiefs, 36 to 35. Uh, let's touch on Texans-Browns. Before we, got, we got a lot to get through. How long are we into this thing? I'm losing track here. Who can tell? Texans-Browns. I'm, I'm, I'm excited now. I'm excited. We got, we got the villain wave of love in. Uh, your boy Tyrod gets hurt. Oh, God damn It's it. very sad. We but can't. ultimately, the Browns take care of business here. That's the story here, right? They take care of business? <sighs> no. Like, the Browns were what? They, that got to like a 14-point spread You or wanted more insane? domination here? Yes. This was an even game when Tyrod Taylor was the quarterback. The Houston Texans had a, had a reasonable shot of winning this game right up until Tyrod goes down. Davis Mills comes in, and you might as well, like, just go home. You know the way they wanted to pack up preseason? Just be like, we're done. Out to the building. <laughs> thought the Texans should have done. Yeah, that. when when Davis Mills went in the game, it's like, ah, screw it. We're on the bus. See ya. Throw like, a touchdown. Take the win. We're out of here. Um, Tyra Taylor started the game and looked exactly like Tyra Taylor from week one. Like he picked up where he left off. He looked good again. And the poor guy, like we're consec. This is three straight week twos where he's gone down. Cleveland with the concussion that got Baker Mayfield in, uh, getting stabbed in the lung by the Chargers medical guys. <laughs> Stop. Took Every him time out. you reference that, it's just so bad. It is. And that was the most, it would be bad enough if that was just the end of the story, but he was getting the pain-killing injection to be able to fight through the broken ribs that he'd already gotten, like playing quarterback for the Chargers. So that lost him that gig. And now it's like week <laughs> two for the Texans after starting amazingly and looking like he's going to actually drag this Marbon franchise to something more respectable this year, boom, out, hamstring just runs himself out of his own hamstring, and now he's out for, I mean, he's out for Thursday night, and who knows how long in addition to that. It's just sad. Like, come I on. I like, can can I like, fate not give the guy a break? I enjoy watching Tyrod play. The, the Texans are my new feisty team. Now I'm, I'm going to use feisty for them every week because they are. They hang in there. Um, they were not feisty enough. For to, to tackle Demetric Felton, no, twenty-five was a twenty-five-yard touchdown. Do you have any idea what's going on with that? He, for people that don't know, he had one of the worst, uh, worst measurables, worst composite athleticism scores ever recorded for either a running back or a wide receiver. Let's pull up. And he was this kind of hybrid player. Get some percentiles here on Felton. Um, he was a guy who just – he looked like a baller at USA. I mean, he looked like you put the ball in his hands and he'd make plays. He goes to this – and he's a wide receiver, running back, hybrid. He goes to the senior ball. He's running great routes and, you know, making people – as a receiver. You know, like, as a receiver who 
was an effective running back in college. Um, he's, he's beating corners. And then he goes, uh, what, his pro day, I mean, vertical jump, 8th percentile, broad jump, ninth percentile, shuttle, 447. Full disclosure, I ran in the 4-4s one time, a shuttle, 7th percentile for, uh, for receivers. Let's compare him to running. So back. a small, shifty running back, wide receiver hybrid ran a slower, short shuttle than you. My 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 general shuttle is probably like four six. I ran like one good one that got in the four fours. But yeah, me and Felton are like the same athlete here. Um, <laughs> he's five nine, one eighty nine. So it's not like it's not like he's two thirty. Yeah, he's not making up for it with, with bulk. You know, um, forty was four five five. Whatever. Anyway, he's just a really good football player who generally makes guys miss, and he runs through the Texans defense, spin moves, and the whole thing takes a screen with like twenty five yards for the touchdown. Um, I, I think, I think this sums up. Did I say USC? Ben said I said USC. I know he went to UCLA. UCLA. He went to UCLA. Sorry, Ben. Thank you, Ben Stockwell. Our attention to detail here is what makes us special. At Always fact checking as well. They should be doing other work. I think it just sums up a lot of what the Browns did this offseason. Bringing in speedster Anthony Schwartz. Bringing in a guy like Felton, who's not a great athlete, but just as a good. Hey, here's this weapon that we can use. Harrison Bryant was like their most effective weapon. The tight end yesterday. The Browns have so many it's not stars it's not great players it's not like the bills where it's like oh look at these four awesome receivers it's just it's just a whole bunch of difficult to cover guys yesterday was a tight end day uh, nine for nine a target in the tight ends um sorry uh 11 for 12 targeting the tight ends yesterday you know i mean it's just the browns have different answers every single week yeah though they're being tested all of a sudden in terms of depth when it comes to receiving weapons because obviously odell beckham hasn't played yet this season that's True. lingering longer than it was supposed to be Jarvis Landry goes down, you know, one catch for, for nine yards for him. So all of a sudden, you're, you're fairly deep into that depth chart. And look, Anthony Schwartz runs a 4-2, and that's always a threat to defenses. But he doesn't really know how to play wide receiver. And if he all of a sudden has to be like your number one, like that throws everything off. You're, so your offense, I mean, there's a reason that if you look at their targets and their catches yesterday, it's two for uh, Demetri Felton, four for Harrison Bryant, five for Austin Hooper. Like Rashad Higgins had two targets, two catches at wide receiver. That's the only wide receiver that had, uh, you know, well, assuming you class Felton as a sort of running back wide receiver hybrid, like Higgins is the only actual wide receiver to get more than one target, one catch. Yeah, I mean, so I, yeah, I agree with that. I mean, having Anthony Schwartz, I think I said it on the previous show, you don't want Anthony Schwartz doing too many natural receiver things. I want schemed up plays for Anthony Schwartz. So Baker's interception – he throws it a little bit too far in front of Schwartz, but Schwartz also didn't run a good little dig right. He's supposed to run an in route, supposed to break out of it a little bit quicker. Um, that's dangerous when you're when you're essentially training a not that he's never well, played receiver, but you're training him on the fly. That's the perfect cautionary tale for Anthony Schwartz, right? It's yeah. like if you rely on him to be a number one wide receiver or like a big part of this offense, that play happens. Right. Which is yes. It's not great on Baker. On the other hand, if that's any other wide receiver, that's probably not a pick. Uh, another awesome game for Nick Chubb. Continues to run the ball well. Um, Brown's pretty good up front, again, with the offensive line. So, all looking uh, still I – look, I think we, the Browns are good. They're legit. But you, little, wanted, you wanted them to win by more. I did. Well, were we a little bit concerned about this secondary that got lit up by the Houston Texans? I mean – Coverage grades in the 40s from John Johnson, Denzel Ward, Troy Hill, Grant Delpit, uh, basically everybody. Everybody in the secondary that was revamped and supposed to be really good, all graded in the 40s against the Houston Texans. Yeah, I, there's probably some concerns there. 
I, I maybe do I defer to my preseason narrative of like let's give them a few weeks. It's new. They're new. You know the um, the the other caveat of like we can't predict anything in coverage. Like who the heck knows? Good players don't always produce <laughs> in the secondary, and they get worse. I, I I'm not worried yet with the Browns. I do think they probably need a few weeks because there were so many moving parts in that back seven, though. They may have found something in Malik McDowell, though. Second week in a row oh, where yes. he's had a good grade, played a decent amount of snaps on the defensive line. Um, former second-round pick who then his career went to hell with an ATV accident and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Browns basically grabbed him off the scrap heap as a roll of the dice to nothing, and he's one of their better defensive linemen through the first couple of weeks. Yeah, and that was an interesting one, too, because the Browns um, had a need at interior defensive linemen, right? I mean, that was, if you're looking at this pretty well-rounded roster, that was one of their their big question marks. And I think he he solves, definitely solves one uh, an issue that they had there. All right, let's go to this Vikings-Cardinals game. 34-33, <laughs> Cardinals win. Vikings miss a walk-off field goal attempt. <sighs> Radio guy thought it went in. He did. What's his name? Paul Allen. He was so excited. You would think that the number of those Paul Allen has seen in his life, he would default to missing rather than assuming it was going in and then being like, oh, no, he missed. PA on the mic, man. You you assume the worst. I That's what I would think, right? You've seen Blair worst, Walsh yeah. before. You Would would you not assume they're going to shank this when it's headed towards the right upright? I'm not, like, superstitious, but I respect the game. And I, if, I'm the, if I'm the Vikings, I would go in and just be like, yeah. We're lined up for a game-winning field goal. Hang on. You're not superstitious, but you respect the superstition game? I just, like, I wouldn't talk about a no-hitter and stuff like that. I don't think it actually affects it. You know, you just, you never talk about no-hitter, Sam. So you're not superstitious except in being superstitious? No. So you're practically superstitious, but theoretically not? There you go. Something okay. Like that. I'm a little stitious. <laughs> not superstitious. That's terrible. Don't ever do that again. It's Michael Scott. You don't like The Office, so, you know. That's, That's just another one thing of the more illogical to... things I've ever heard in my life. Another reason for people to hate Sam, not an Office fan. I'm not the original either. Do you not like the original or the? No, they're both bad. Yeah, neither one of them is wow. funny. Sam hates the Office. So uh, Kirk Cousins plays an awesome game for the Vikings, gets them in the field goal range. They, range they miss, and uh, Kyler Murray in this Cardinals offense also looks fantastic. The only thing that can stop this offense is Kyler Murray throwing interceptions, which he did twice. But man, they oh, are boy. doing a good job uh not being covered defensively yeah that part wasn't good this was a weird game like it got to it was crazy both, both teams got to like 30 points and then just stopped scoring it was like there was a pact do you think they see gus johnson and they're like all right let's go let's like the, the defense only trots like 10 dudes out there or something so gus can go crazy <laughs> gus was turned up to 11 this was awesome gus and i keep to leave what a tandem i do kind of wonder why gus isn't like more you know one the a team like why is he not he's doing college now i don't even think he's doing the nfl but it's, it was almost like they bumped him from the nfl because they're like look gus you're more of a college kind of guy we don't deal with that excitement well at this level we need some more uh we need some more calm and assuredness from you know the likes of jim nance and al there is something about me that i think likes the gus types i like gus in college i like the excitable guys in college you don't you think he turns it up too far for the nfl we're more of an austere kind of like, uh, I've always enjoyed Gus. I think some people think he's gone, you know, too much. I think he's great. Because he, he had, like, the Brandon Stokely 80-yard walk-off yeah, that Gus one year and loses his mind. Like, Gus is awesome. I want to hear it dialed up to 11. But Gus hasn't, ha like, he hasn't had, like, a 9-6 to six game. To, there's no way. Like, stats must show. Average 
points per game in a Gus game is like 70, right? It's just Always hammer the over when Gus is hammer Gus the over yeah. when Gus is on the call. Can we get Eric to look up the uh, the spread, the over under? But like these teams got to 30 and then just called it quits. Like three points each in the fourth quarter. Yeah. Um which was weird. But the Vikings with this 11 personnel offense actually seem to be more productive that way. The Cardinals, like Kyler Murray is doing absurd things. Um, as we said before, tied for the league lead with big time and big time throws with nine of them through two games so far. The variety of his big time throws as well is kind of absurd. It's not just that he's making a lot of them. They're all wildly different and, and crazy. And some of them involve this sort of classic Kyler running around doing ridiculous things and then heaving one. Some of them are just dimes. Some like they're all over the place in terms of what he's achieving. Um, the only downside, as he said, was those couple of ugly uh, picks. Yeah, I mean, this is um, Kyler's going to get the MVP hype, which is which is fine and good. I mean, again, there um, the the number of times that he is scrambling around. I was talking to you about this yesterday, right? Like when you're evaluating quarterbacks and you're like, oh, these guys, they look at the rush. We don't like that. It's usually bad. Kyler's the only guy I wrote a note in and said looks at the rush, but I like it. I think it's good for him because. He'll drop his eyes, and he did this on that touchdown uh, when he scrambled to his left. He drops, he finds the escape route, takes it, but then he's looking to throw, and he gets out there, and he's not just looking to run. He's not dropping his eyes to run. He's dropping his eyes to find a place to throw the ball, and I think it's, again, how do you put defenses in a bind? How do you make it difficult to cover your offense? Well, one of them is, yeah, Kyler's going to make some throws in rhythm. He had a beautiful throw over the intermediate part of the middle of the field yesterday he's improving in that area but you're also difficult to cover when hey i can break contain at any time try covering our guys for seven seconds or i could break a big run kyler's tapping into all of that special parts the special parts of his skill set he's just got he's got three picks in the last two weeks and they're all pretty bad ones they're all pretty bad ones he's got to cut down on those mistakes but um murray overall i do think is taking some steps forward and it's coinciding with adding Rondell Moore. Um, A.J. Green had a nice little touchdown whooping Bashad Breeland, who's just another story here. Um, a lot really coming together with this Arizona offense. It, there is. Um, I, the, the Rondell Moore thing is, is definitely interesting because uh, I think Steven Ruiz, who he's the ringer now, right? He was tweeting yesterday that, look, simply replacing Larry Fitzgerald with Rondell Moore in this offense is it's huge. They right? never just giving him those targets. Right. Two screens per game. And we were saying that in the offseason. Like, the fit is actually fantastic because they were force-feeding Fitz the ball anyway in the last couple of years just to keep him ticking over. Um, and because of that, they had kind of – there were all these plays that are just those manufactured targets for a player. And they had been Fitz who will catch them but not do a ton after the catch. All of a sudden, you can just make that Rondale and it – changes everything like you get one of the most dynamic playmakers in the nfl you start feeding him the ball that way and also you can still use him as part of a legitimate wide receiver package because he's i think capable of doing all that kind of stuff and then you get kyla murray you add this layer of kyla murray improvisation plays you know like russell wilson stuff and now you're seeing like all of a sudden rondell's catching the ball with like nobody within 15 yards of him um and then plays you know just before the half it's like hey Rondell, like a dump-off pass, Rondell makes three people miss, and suddenly you're in field goal range. Like, this Cardinals offense is fun to watch. They really are. Um, the secondary that I was 
giving was my most impressed one of the most impressive units in week one though the cardinal secondary that we spent the offseason saying eh, we got some question marks here look great in week one not so good anywhere i mean the entire defense was was pretty bad for arizona in this one uh dalvin cook forced 12 missed tackles as a runner he was fantastic i thought the, despite, <clears throat> the vikings yeah but despite getting banged up a couple of times and he kept getting banged up that has been the story of uh dalvin my fred taylor comp remains uh dalvin's career getting banged up but being awesome uh, but the Viking, you know, the Vikings really did a nice job up front. Just look at the run defense grades for the Cardinals defense. I see it. It's all red. Byron Murphy, 36. Uh, Jordan Hicks, 29. Chandler Jones, 30. Uh, J.J. Watt, 43. Zach Allen, uh, 29. Robert Alford, 42. Zayvon Collins, 27. I mean, these guys were just Which wrecked. again, coincide, there was missed tackles in there, but it also coincides with the Vikings. When they ran their down, not the, uh, the outside zone stuff, I think was fine, but the downhill runs for Dalvin seemed like he was getting three and four yards head of steam. So he had, he had, he had room to work, man. Um, so yeah, both offenses were the story. It was weird how they ended up, you know, stopping scoring in the second half. Um, what did Breland end up with? Not as bad as I thought, huh? No, yeah, Breland... The Vikings have got this weird problem at cornerback where you bring in Brashad Breland in part because he's been this sort of steady hand veteran presence that's been starting for the past couple of years. And they had all these young guys last year that were just getting torched. And Breland comes in and he's just giving up too much at this point. Like he's getting beat by pretty much everybody. Now he got injured in this game, left the game, and they had to put in Cameron Dantzler who sort of flat, this was a perfect Cameron Dantzler game because he comes in and you're like, oh, great. We finally get to see the guy that flashed a little bit of talent last season. Maybe he can be the one that takes a step, immediately like misses a bad tackle and isn't where he should be. And then, you know, it does make, make up for it later with a, a pass breakup, I think, uh, a nice coverage play. But it, it feels like, look, you're Minnesota and you're trying to build something for the future. Breland isn't that. He, like, he's not a long-term right. answer for anything. Maybe Patrick Peterson has some kind of like higher ceiling for a little bit of a longer time. But like if Dantzler isn't part of this future, then you have basically no cornerbacks. None. Yeah, like Breland trouble. is not part of the future. Peterson probably isn't either. You, you lost Jeff Gladney because of an off-field thing that you probably couldn't have seen coming. Um, Cameron Dantzler is it. Like if he's not the thing, now you need to start drafting an entire new secondary again, like a whole new stable of cornerbacks. So put him on the field. Like, give him a shot. Uh, someone in the comments says that George and Eric are hating on Kyler Murray. Another astute listener says those two hate fun. Eh, let's put that aside here for a second here. Um, Kyler Murray. Hey, what? Who's hating? YouTube Why? comments. George and Eric are hating on Kyler Murray. For I what? I don't know what they said. I think, I think because everybody's talking to Kyler Murray for MVP, I saw George talk like, hey, this is, it's Tom Brady right now. I assume that's what they're talking about. They're downplaying maybe the Kyler MVP talk. Okay. Um, I think Kyler's been really good, again, outside of three throws. And, and at, least, at least all three throws have showed up on the stat sheet. One, there was a pick six yesterday. That helped keep the Vikings Pick in six the game. was bad, bad, bad. Like um, he, that was one, one where – But one in the red zone. He threw the ball right to a linebacker that he knew was there. It yeah. was even worse than – like Joe Burrow threw to a linebacker that for some reason he didn't see. Kyler Murray saw that linebacker, tried to fit it past yeah. him, and didn't. So you get a bad pick six. Uh, the one was at the goal line, right? Another interception. That one, yeah. That one though, he his someone got a hand on him in okay. the pocket. So he it, last it's week, underthrown. Yeah, it's underthrown and picked off. But because as he's throwing, a guy got hold of him and sort of wrenched him back. 
Oh yeah, that wasn't a turnover-worthy play for us. You're right. right. So that was that was more of a. So it's really two bad throws. Uh, yeah. Because week one was against the Titans. It was. It didn't matter a ton, but he did um, throw one back right into Kevin Byard that he shouldn't have thrown. So look, I think Kyle is playing a pretty clean brand of football, and overall, this Cardinals offense is uh, is really coming together. Uh, let's go to this Cowboys. Cowboys Chargers. Yeah, let's go Cowboys Chargers. Okay. Cowboys. They pulled it off, man. They win. As long as Dak doesn't throw for too many yards and they run the ball a little bit, the Cowboys defense will make plays. Yeah. Clearly, the uh, the answer here is to just turn the keys over to Tony Pollard, which you'll uh, discover if you listen to the PFF Daily today. PFF Daily today is discussing Tony Pollard and uh, Is Zeke it Yellen. time to bench Zeke for Tony Pollard? That's what we discussed today. So you get all of our thoughts. The answer is, yeah, quite probably. Over there. Uh, what did you think of this this Dallas Chargers game, though? It was fun. Um, this Back was a good game. Forth. Yeah, yeah. And like, absurd officiating decisions at the end. It had everything, Steve. Everything you want. So that Herbert play, it's second and goal, and he tries to throw it away. Does he's, throw it away. He's, yeah. he's stiff-arming a defender, and they're calling in the grasp. Yeah. Forward progress. You can't, The problem is you you, you can't. The forward progress part of that for quarterbacks has to be essentially tossed out the window. You can't, because otherwise you're essentially saying anytime the quarterback has contact on him and is not moving forward, it's the play's over, which clearly isn't true. And the right? 07 Patriots are like, where was this call when Eli Manning right. is throwing the exactly. so that, Tyreek like, catch? We have to accept that that's clearly an absurd interpretation of the rule, right? That anytime a guy has contact on the quarterback and he isn't directly moving forward, we just whistle the play dead. That's clearly ridiculous. So if that's ridiculous, it has to be some kind of in the grasp and this play is clearly going no further. But that obviously is an arbitrary line that differs quarterback to quarterback. Like if you touch Kirk Cousins, the play's done. Like it's like two-hand touch. We're playing, you know, flag football out here. Like if Cousins is contacted, you can blow it anytime you like. If Cam Newton or, you know, like, Justin Fields or any of these like physically strong, um, the Carson Wentz even like the, I mean we're talking about him being the architect of his own problems because of all these plays he fights out of and not most of the ones he doesn't. But you can't the line isn't the same for Carson Wentz as it is for Kirk Cousins or for you know any of these. So Justin Herbert falls into that category of that guy has the ability to extend plays way beyond the point of some other quarterbacks, and in this one. He clearly wasn't in the grasp. Like the concept, the idea that you look at that and go, oh, this play's done. He's, he's over. It's insane. He easily had enough self-control to be able to heave that ball away. Did. And you went, nope, in the grasp. Back him up. It's just a bad call. It really is. Just bad. Um, so it moved them back a ton. Uh, had to settle for a field goal. Cowboys end up getting the game-winning field goal. It was, again, um, for Herbert, this was – Four big-time throws, three turnover-worthy throws, had the end zone interception, which was, you know, receivers were falling all over the place. But there was some some ups and downs with Herbert. He had the cover two shot that uh, I think Renner posted, like so a 40-yard. Nice. I thought it was tipped at first, that the corner tipped it. But it really – 40-yard far hash into, into a window. I don't think I've seen that. Yeah. 40 yards far hash in the cover two hole. Again, the corner is dropping. You, and the safety's coming up over the top. There's this small window, and you usually hit that cover two window at 20 yards, right? Between talk, 15 and 25. Yeah, like people talk about a 15-yard out from the far hash being like a demonstration of arm strength. This was a 40-yard far hash throw 
into a into a window between a, a dropping cornerback and the cover two safety or the the too high safety i will say look the the overall grade for herbert for lamar jackson for josh allen like yesterday not not great but we are we have a world of hashtag fun to watch quarterbacks there is like lamar is doing things that you just don't generally see quarterbacks do josh allen's doing things that are just different justin herbert's starting to do things that are just different we know what mahomes has been doing these last couple years i'm not saying they're all elite top-notch high-end quarterbacks all the time but man a lot of excitement back and forth here and then Dak overall solid had an interception that he'd want back overthrow over the middle Dak was solid again but this is the first time they didn't just go all Dak um, it did seem like the Cowboys said we want to get the run game involved here they did use the two-headed monster of Zeke Elliott and Tony Pollard um, and they ran the ball much better so the uh, the Mike Florios of the world are vindicated. The defense gave up only 17 points because Dallas ran for almost 200 yards. That's, That's the why. interesting part of this. We were talking before the game on the live show that we do on YouTube, and it was like hammer the over on this. Like this, you know, we and we said it before that Dallas's starting point is like the defense going to give up 30, the offense needs to target 31, and let's see how it goes from there. And this was a 20 to 17 game which was 6-6 six to six in the second half. Like, the scoring wasn't where we expected it to be. 40-yard far hash throw. We have a guy uh, in the comments who's just dropping stats. It's like, it's like the Magic Johnson account is in our it's, – it's actually amazing. <laughs> Magic Johnson account. It's Sw- Swampy McGee. He's just in there. Cordero Patterson rushed seven Swampy times for 11 McGee. yards and a touchdown in the Falcons' week two loss to the Bucks. Okay. It's hilarious. So it's like our own news ticker? I guess so. I kind of like it. I might just use. I might just read what he's, what he's dropping in there. That'll be my analysis. Okay. Um, how does this affect the Cowboys' offense going forward? They're going to try to be more balanced here, and do you buy into their defense a little bit more? They did. Uh, Mike McCarthy was raving about them all offseason. They had all those injuries up front. They moved Micah Parsons to edge. Yes. He's fantastic. So a couple of things we need to talk about in this game: Micah Parsons as a true edge rusher. Now look. He's going to end up with an amazing grade. He was very, very good. Don't an, drop an elite pass rusher. on me. On the other hand, Don't all we've it. learned is that Micah Parsons is an elite edge rusher when he's facing Storm Norton, which has to be part of the equation. Okay, fine. It I mean, has look, to he be. Beat up, he beat up on Storm Norton. Right. I want to highlight, though, Micah Parsons, and I mentioned this at draft time, it is generally – just bad analysis when you're like, oh, this linebacker is a good blitzer. He could play on the edge. It's generally bad. Parsons has that skill set. And so the only guys that have done this recently, like Dante Hightower. I mean, this yeah. is it's a, it's a very rare skill set to take a traditional linebacker and allow them to be a 20, rush 27 times. Now, look, their next game is against Philadelphia. So now we're going to learn something, right? Lane Johnson and Jordan Mailata. Right. If he does it again, now we can conclude that Micah Parsons is an elite edge rusher full stop, period. We don't need any caveats. For now, we need the caveat that he is an elite edge rusher when he gets to go up against Storm Norton, which is an important part of this. Yeah. yeah. Um, like, he wasn't alone in having an elite pass rush grade. Like, uh, Azur Kamara, the uh, hard knock star, okay, he only got on for four snaps, but he got some joy as well. Like, this is, this is part of the, the thing you need to evaluate. The other thing I thought that was kind of interesting, uh, Trevon Diggs had a really, really good interception. Um, really nice. Really yeah. nice. And he's, like, he's quietly been 
pretty good since like halfway through his rookie year. Remember he began and like the first half Gave up dozen a lot games. Of big plays early on. Yeah. He was just getting torched the first few games of his career. And then like halfway through that season, settled down and was an awful lot better. Um and I think since that point he's he's been pretty good. And then the other guy that had a, a pretty big game for them was J. Ron Curse, who they bring in and plug into that that back end coverage shell. So what you're what you're describing here though is um, a Chargers offensive line that was getting all sorts of love yeah. in week one. And they don't deserve it here in week two because Corey Lindsley. So Rashawn Slater, the rookie, was fantastic again. 51 pass blocking attempts, four pressures. Mm-hmm. Um, and not not big ones, right? So they would have been graded uh, poorly. 73.5 grade is good. Storm Norton gets torched. 14 Cor- pass blocking grade for Storm. Yeah. Uh, and Corey Lindsley struggles so there's your pre and, and now honestly he wasn't great like remember he was the weakness last week as well from a pass pass blocking standpoint so the chargers weren't as good um and then you get a couple you know whiffs from justin jackson and jared cook in there as well um so it was a little up and down up and uh across the offensive line for the chargers in this one uh so they've got some work to do there but impressive win for the cowboys here the uh the player for the chargers defense who we may not name, lest we jinx him and consign him to the injury scrap heap again. Safety guy? Yes. Safety guy does a little bit of everything, maybe phenomenal, um, to be known as hashtag the player. The player was very good again. He very made some again. really nice plays, sniffed out a bunch of stuff, uh, like stopped, uh, had a few stops in there. He, I mean, he's a huge part of that defense. Something to keep an eye on, for sure. Chargers fall to one and one. Dallas moves to one and one. Uh, two other four o'clock games to discuss here, and then we'll wrap it up. Titans and yes, one last thing. Uh, Tyron Smith, like back, real Tyron Smith, yeah. not like you know the guy he's been in. He between gave up injuries. the one strip sack, right? Yeah, look, I mean, it's not perfect, but generally, over the course of the game, he was very good. Which and is now back to bank weeks, and look, if they get that guy back, he's still arguably the best left tackle in the NFL when he is one hundred percent healthy. The problem is, the last time you could say that is going back a long time 16 15 yeah like if they actually have that guy back this year that's huge by the way strip sack isn't that much different than just whiffing giving up a pressure yeah i mean it's it's the same play on other factors um mostly a good defensive play or the quarterback just happens to have the ball still all right let's go uh titans and seahawks seahawks never play a good game or uh, a normal game they lose 33 to 30 the end of this game um look let me let me start with this this was silly Derek Henry. Do you want to talk at the end of the game? What happened? I just don't understand how this became a Seahawks loss. I know. It was nuts. They were, what, 24-9 up at the half? Yeah. Can I propose, though, like Tannehill played a really good game. He had a couple drops early on, throws a touchdown to Julio, where he doesn't get his full foot in, Sam. Didn't get the full foot in. It looked like he did, though. Yeah. Like, not only is this a ridiculous rule that I hate anyway – but it shouldn't have even applied. Like, they called it a touchdown and then overruled it on replay, a replay that did not that show not conclusive. conclusively that his foot did not remain in bounds. I think, so when you go back to the Burrow game and it's like, while down 13, Burrow threw three picks and they made a comeback, right? Just as crazy. In a game where the Seahawks were in charge most of the time, Derrick Henry had 40 carries. In a game where the Titans were playing from behind and coming back derrick henry had 40 carries can we can we start but it's can funny, we call him the exception 
Derek, the exception, Heron. They were able to do that because Seattle stopped scoring. Like, it would, the only time you realistically have to abandon the run is when the opposition keeps putting points up. So you, you start taking up these long drives to answer, and then they answer, like they put up another touchdown, and now you got to do it all over again. That's when you start running out of time. When the opposition doesn't put up points and you get the ball back and the situation is the same, it doesn't matter that you're chewing up the clock and running the ball. As long as you get points at the end of it, you're okay. So you can see you can keep feeding Derrick Henry knowing that in the fourth quarter and an overtime Derrick Henry is going to start grinding down the opposition because the clock is not being taken away from you by the Seattle putting up additional points. Yeah, I mean, I, I get it, but still 40 carries. It was, I mean, yeah. is is Derrick Henry truly the exception? Because all of the the football axioms that oh, this this guy doesn't get going until carry 20 to 25. And it's like, okay, that's not really true, except it might be with Derrick Henry. Yes. And if you do stick with him long enough, he's going to break one. And he, and, he, and he did, and he does, and he's... He does appear to genuinely break most of the preconceived notions about running backs. Almost everything about him appears to be slightly different than any other running back. He really does, man. And, you know, look, I, this was whatever we envisioned the Titans offense to look like this offseason. Uh, Derrick Henry having 40 carries and, you know, A.J. Brown had nine targets, only had a handful of catches, only had the three catches. But um, Julio goes six for 128, probably should have had that touchdown tacked on. This was star players making plays. For the, the most, most ridiculous thing about this game is that, so, okay, Tennessee have started their comeback. It's still, uh, it's still in hand for Seattle. The Seahawks hit a deep touchdown, 68 yards. Now we're up. Busted coverage like crazy. Right. Complete disaster. Now we're up 30-16 to 16, uh, with 13 minutes left in the fourth quarter. And they hit the upright with the extra point, right? And anybody that follows the Seattle Seahawks <laughs> knows that Seattle does not play normal games. Right. And even though we look like we're well in hand right now, something is going to happen and this will be a close game. And you clang the upright with the extra point that puts you 30 to 16 ahead. And multiple Seahawks accounts or fans or whatever on Twitter were like, oh, that's coming back to haunt. Like, <laughs> that's going to be the reason we lose this game. Um, Mina Kimes referred to it as Chekhov's extra point. Yeah. Like the, I, Explain the, it again. So Chekhov's gun is the term for like, I think the, the, the idea is it's using like film or, or books or whatever. It's like you never bring something up unless it's going to be relevant later in the plot, right? right? So there's never like a, you never refer to like a broken glass on the table unless the broken glass is going to get shanked into somebody's neck later in the story and be an important part of it, right? Exactly. Um, so Chekhov's extra point, like the only way the extra point, the only way the, the missed extra point happens as if it's going to come back later in the game and be the reason that Seattle loses, which is exactly what happened. Like, it's the reason that Tennessee was able to tie it up, go to overtime, and then they win. They snatch the, the victory from the jaws of defeat. Oh, man. It Chekhov's, was... Chekhov's extra point. So Tannehill wasn't as bad as the stats would have showed in week one. This game, he was fantastic. 90-plus passing grade, five drop passes in there. Um, Henry runs like crazy. Russ again you know it's it's another big play offense the busted coverage say what you want but Tyler Lockett is just continuing to get behind the defense as well but then the end of the game you go to overtime 
Um, Titans got the ball first, right? They punted. So uh, yes, so they they got the ball first, punted to Seattle. Yep. So now Seattle has it. Russ always comes through in these situations. Always comes through, right? Uh, gets to third and ten, I believe it is. Mm-hmm. And another one of those plays where it's like, man, you've, you've been getting away with these so much in your career, but this one it didn't. He tries to spin backwards out of a sack, almost like 15 yards yeah. into the end zone. Very almost took a like 14-yard sack for a safety, which would have ended the game then and there. I think it was Eric Edholm who tweeted out, there have been three walk-off safeties in NFL history in overtime. We nearly had the fourth, yeah. where Russ is so far back in the end zone, he almost gets called for grounding, and he almost has – you know, they actually they called it a sack where his forward progress was down at the one. And again, it's like an interesting argument because it's like he was at the one, but he also had momentum going back in the end zone, makes the throw, like, but you get like your furthest point. Either way, that play lost them the game because the Seahawks had, because even though it didn't lose them the game on that play, they punch from the end zone. And then it's like, all right, you know, right. Titans get the ball around midfield. The 39-yard line, they yeah, get the ball. Yeah, and Derek, a couple Derrick Henry runs, game-winning field goal, and it's over. Um, so that was the other weird part of the Seahawks thing is you just feel more comfortable when Russ is in these comeback situations and it didn't happen for them. Um, so playing with fire for Seattle in this case ends up burning them. Well done. Not good. Well done. I mean, it's a baby step. It's a, you know, it's an entry level metaphor, but it was a good one. Well Dude, done. I'm just rolling today. We're just, we're just rolling here. Um, so another, it's another one of those games where the Titans were in danger of going 0-2. Mm. Just like the Cowboys were in danger of going 0-2. The Ravens were in danger of going 0-2. They still, like, the they du- all won. The dudes, you know, the guys they rely on. Yeah. They still weren't really firing. Like, A.J. Brown, he had a drop in there. A couple of them, I think, had it just didn't look right in this game. Julio Jones should have had a touchdown, which I think would have changed the, the opinion on how he's been uh, performing. He was at least closer. Derrick Henry finally got going, but... Like, they kind of need all those guys at the same time to be hitting on all cylinders for them to be good. Um, the A.J. Brown thing is a, is a little bit weird. They still scored over 30 points, despite all that. Yeah. Which I think makes them even but they more beca- Like, that's, that's what their team is built around. They, they, if all those guys aren't firing, this is not the same team as it is when only one or, of the, the three or Maybe two of the Maybe you don't need them, but that's the point. Maybe you don't need all of them at the same time. Like, one of these days, A.J. Brown's just going to take over and Julio's going to be stuck with two catches or whatever it is. Or, like, in week one, Henry, Henry I mean, they, they were all bad. but Which would confuse you more, that Julio Jones suddenly starts scoring touchdowns and it turns out it was Matt Ryan holding him back all these years? Or Julio Jones, for the entirety of his career, becomes the greatest receiver in NFL history that couldn't find the end zone? Yeah, I, the stat, he has over 10,000 receiving yards and 60 career touchdowns. Yeah. In this in this era where touchdowns are easier to get than ever, yeah, that is it makes crazy. no sense. Randy Moss had twenty three in a season. Yes, and Julio has sixty in like a twelve year career. Randy Moss had seventeen in his rookie season. Yeah, so Moss has two years with forty. Moss Julio's was like a third a of the way to, to to Julio's touchdown record after his rookie season, in which he only saw like sixty something tu- like targets. It's I don't understand it. I, people I've seen people try to explain it, and then it's. I, I don't know. I mean, plays like this don't help, where it's like he scored a touchdown, they just went not. Yeah. Again, the best explanation I've ever seen that he is he's a good vertical build up speed type of guy. But he's got quickness. Like that. But he does have that. quickness too. I'm just saying, but he also should be a fade he should be good on fades and back shoulder. Like Mike Evans, Mike Evans can run a slant 
in a fade at the goal line in a back shoulder and he can and he'd just be a dominant red zone weapon. right um julio has that skill set and i don't understand why it's not it hasn't shown up. And in it's not like, it should, he should have 100 touchdowns yes, in his career. Even if there were red zone limitations to his play because of you know a lack of quickness or sudden moves or whatever, he wouldn't be the first receiver for whom that's the case who hasn't struggled to make the end zone. You know what I mean? There have been a lot of those guys in the past who have had that limitation and still get a ton of touchdowns. Why? I don't understand. Yeah, I don't know, man. Uh, let's Let's wrap it up. I, I don't I don't have a good answer for the Julio thing except okay. he just has not been finding has not been finding the end zone all right let's go to the Falcons and Bucks uh Falcons started to make it close for a while Bucks always kind of felt like they had it in hand and all of a sudden two pick sixes in the fourth quarter to really pull away um yeah. so in this game the Bucks were up a lot Falcons started coming back it's 28 to 25 Brady throws a great touchdown to Chris Godwin to kind of it's felt like that sealed the deal okay the bucks are going to win this thing and then they had two pick sixes in the fourth quarter by mike edwards this on was top of it. yeah this was like another it was another one of those biggest you know spreads of the week it was like a 14 point spread or something and you know tampa bay get the early touchdown they look like they're gonna sort of comfortably build the lead and then the third quarter atlanta suddenly pull it back to being pretty close and you're like, oh, this is going to be, this might be tougher than they thought. And then, like, boom, just 20 points in the fourth quarter, a couple of pick sixes. And not only do they cover, like, the, the two touchdown lead or whatever it was, they almost put it out to, like, a 25-point margin. And just, it was never close, apparently. Uh, but it actually was, you know, right up until the start of the fourth quarter. Um, it does feel like it's easy for Tampa Bay's offense. Like, th yeah. this was a game where... Their ability to just decide where the favorable matchup is in any given week is unparalleled. Nobody yeah. else has that kind of depth where they can go. So the first week, Tom Brady had like almost 50 dropbacks, and Mike Evans saw like six targets. It yeah. wasn't his kind of game. This week, Evans had like eight targets by the time Brady was up to 25 I pass was gonna, attempts. I can't remember if I predicted or not, but that's what they did last year. Like, yeah, they would, and he had two touchdowns. Yeah, it's almost they could make a point to go to Evans, and they can get Evans when they want, and they – Threw to him the first play of the game, and then when they want to go to Evans, they run him up the seam. So like the third play of the game, they run him up the seam, and Brady hits him, and all of a sudden, okay, Mike Evans is involved in the game. Like next, Antonio Brown didn't get enough targets in this game, so next week it'll probably be Antonio Brown that they're attacking against the Rams. So yeah, um, but I don't even think that it's it's. I mean, they could if they wanted to, where it's like, oh, we haven't gone to this guy for a while. Let's make sure this is a an Antonio Brown game or whatever. But I think it's just like they get to dictate where the matchup is. Like you yeah. look at what the defense is doing and you say, all right, this is a game built for this guy. Yeah. And he's going to get the production this week. Um, and it's just so easy for them to do that. They have not just a bunch of different really good players, but they're good in different ways. And they can therefore dictate where you lose. Like which is your weakest link in, in your coverage system? That's the guy we're going to target. And it genuinely feels like anytime they get into the red zone, they could score with Rob Gronkowski. Like, he had a couple of plays where he was running up the seam and wasn't covered. And they didn't even target him. Like, they were looking elsewhere. Gronk could score a touchdown basically any time they run a play from inside the 10. It's insane. Yeah, it's a pretty scary uh, scary offense right now. And I think yeah, Bruce Arians was mad at, at halftime. And Brady even said, hey, we, we left Brady the was mad at full time, yeah. He, was, he threw for five touchdowns, and they're – they are throwing the ball when they're inside the five. They are, they're, he's got nine touchdowns through two games, a bunch inside the five. But again, it's like it's not easy to cover. You can't cover Gronk and Evans and all those guys, right? Um, 
there's more on the table for the Bucks' offense right now. Yeah. Uh, defensively, they had the two pick sixes to kind of salvage things, but they end up they give up 25 points as a defense. They gave up 29 in Week One against the Cowboys, I believe it was. Um, we said if there's a weakness for the Bucks, it's secondary depth, and you know Carlton Davis was getting banged up a little bit, so just something to keep an eye on as they get into the season and teams have to be aggressive against them. They might be in more shootouts. I know we we remember the Bucks defense that shut down Mahomes in the Super Bowl, but I think they're going to have a lot of games where they give up you know, points in the twenties. And if the offense falters a little bit, then you start to get into teams that might be able to give them some games. Yeah. It's an interesting test at the moment because they are getting a bit banged up in the secondary. Um, Sean Murphy bunting, obviously in week one had his arm twist backwards and he's, he's going to miss a bit, a bit of time with the dislocated elbow. Carlton Davis was banged up. Like they are going to get tested in that secondary for depth for, for a bit. Um, so that's going to be, that's going to be interesting. Um, their defensive line, though, is so nasty. Like, they are all able to win one-on-one matchups. The only thing that's limiting them, like, is essentially how much those starters stay on the field. Um, they they played a ton in this game. There were 67 snaps, I think, where 67 snaps of potential defense and guys like Jason Pierre-Paul playing 59 of them. So 10 available snaps, essentially, for a backup edge rusher to be on the field. And it's not like your backup edge rusher is a nobody. Like you've got Joe Tryon Shoyenka, who was dominant in the preseason, a first-round pick, and had an 88 grade in this game. But the guy can barely see the field because the dudes in front of him just don't leave. Right. Um, and that, so I think that depth is, is pretty scary. And then in this game, if they weren't winning, they were doing a really good job of, like, hands up and blocking passes. And half these interceptions were, were tipped at the line. It was this bizarre game where Matt Ryan's box score, it kind of told the right story, but with none of the right plays. <laughs> right. Like all of his, they almost all of his interceptions weren't his fault. On the other hand, he had a bunch of turnover-worthy plays and deserved to have that number of interceptions. Yeah, definitely an odd one. And in, in another one where uh, Cordero, Par- Cordero Patterson, always the best running back on the field. There was a couple nice runs there for the Falcons, but a lot of teams are just going to not run against the box and throw it around and try to score as many points as possible. Um, really quick from a Falcon standpoint, they screwed it up early. They go fourth and one at the midfield, and they try to they punt it, take a delay and punt. They go for, They have fourth and two in their own territory later, and they kind of rush. They're like, oh, we're not going to make that mistake again. They rush up. They try to run a two-yard QB sneak. Matt Ryan gets stuffed, and they give it to the Bucs in their territory. Um, so it kind of felt like they did it in reverse. They, and so you have to have a plan for those things. Um, and then the Bucs got to a point where their offense got so frustrated, they went for fourth and one in their own territory and ended up getting it. It, it is, it's funny to me because I feel like coaches, when they talk about game flow and stuff, a lot of coaches are doing it after like frustration, after they, they just, oh, our offense just needs to score here. I can't punt it away. And they're going for it. And they're stumbling into, I think, a lot of the right decisions. There's so many execution thing, parts of these like decisions. Like QB sneak on fourth and short is not a terrible plan, but – you have to look at who's on the field and where like, where they're occupying space, you know? Like, there's certain players yeah. you shouldn't be trying to run a fourth and short sneak into because right. they are man mountains and don't move. Like, how? I mean, this has got to be part of the equation. You don't know. You don't know what the left guard's doing, so you can't always make those decisions. You don't know. Did we touch on every game? Did we do it? I hope so because we don't have time anymore. Yeah. That's, all, that's it. Week two's in the books. Josh Allen apology form is signed. I need an apology for the apology form. Well, you can find that yourself. I'm can not, we get that immediately? I'm not going looking. Can for we that. get a? Uh, 
now that the uh, the haze in the barn, we can uh, I can do whatever I want now. The haze in the barn. Yeah, you don't hear a lot of that these days. No. Yeah. Well, somebody uses it. I'm somebody. sure they do. Yeah. Somebody's relating it. Now remember, email us in. Give us ideas for a forfeit. Um, it's my turn next, uh, so we need an idea of what we can do to raise money, and we need an idea of you know pet-related, animal welfare-related charities because that's next up. So NFL podcast singular at pff.com. Also. Anything you want us to hear, you want to hear us talk about for our Wednesday shows, because you guys are essentially a big part of providing us with uh, fodder for those shows. So, anything you want to hear us talk about on Wednesday that we don't get to in the course of previewing and reviewing every single game, we might have some in-depth offensive line analysis this week on the Wednesday show. Hmm. We'll confirm that, but we might have that on the Wednesday show. And uh, we again, I appreciate everybody on YouTube Live. Just go and uh, click that thumbs up really quick on your way out. Uh, thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll see you again on Wednesday with our midweek show and then Thursday previewing all of the week three action.